and welcome to episode 69 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is Derek. I'm Derek. I'm a guy on RPG Fan. The Burger. He's here, ladies and gentlemen. Dark Hamburger at your service. The the Burgermeister. The Burgermeister. I'm just very, very happy that Derek is here because I figured that we wouldn't be able to pull him away from Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, well, same goes for Steven. That's true. But Derek, you got to do me a favor and like actually put Final Fantasy 14 on your Steam registry so that I can see when you're playing it because like I can't I, I don't want to interrupt you. I, I feel like I'm being rude. No, I told uh, I told Steven like I'm weird in that I don't like to have the Steam overlay on non-Steam games. Ah, because uh, I feel like I already have a chat channel open and like I get sensory overload. Like between that chat channel cuz lately cuz when we play we use Skype, so we usually have a Skype conversation going. And then there's, like, I have two link shells and a free company chat in the game. And between all those, and then I'm getting text messages. God, I'm just so popular. You're, no, it's you're just, everybody loves you, Derek. Hey, See, I'm the exact opposite. I you guys. I, yeah, well, I, want, like I want the Steam is. overlay on everything. Okay, but but Steven, as I introduce Steven Meyerink, tell us on the boards. on the boards. As I introduce Steven, I, I gotta say, and Derek, you gotta back me up if you think this is true. I love chatting with with Steven about video games, but Steven, you type so fast, and you'll end up typing like four things before I even have a chance to respond. So it'll just be like, bing, 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 bing. It'll be like, I love Monaco. Oh my god, this game's so awesome. Oh, dude, have you seen this? Dude, have you seen this? Yep. It's like talking to a 10-year-old. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> yep, that's that's Steven. I, we actually joked last night when we were talking on Skype that Steven has two states, incredibly excited or unconscious. <laughs> but yeah, like Steven, the trademark of a Steven like outburst, which is a lot of things like all the time, really, is he'll like type things and you'll get a couple extra letters. Like the first few letters of a word will be capitalized <laughs> or he'll like transpose letters randomly. He'll just be like, I'm so excited. <laughs> but you know what? Damn it, we love that about Steven. No, we do. We do. It's just like, uh, what will end up happening is I'm trying to watch something on YouTube, and Steven just starts messaging me, and it's like 18 messages in a row. And I love you, dude, but like, <laughs> goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> this yep, may surprise you, but I, I kind of get that a lot. <laughs> one of my friends is like, can you just type all of your thoughts into one message and send that one instead of sending me 13? <laughs> That would work really well Thir- for me. 13 half sentences, and I'm like, no, I can't. That reminds me, Steven. We need to play Monaco. We I've should been, play Monaco. I, I that game up, is super fun. I picked up La Mulana this weekend because it was like five bucks, so I'm looking oh, forward you to are playing gonna... that. Oh, you mean the Dark Souls of Metroidvania <laughs> Castle? <laughs> no, you know what, Derek, let's be honest. I think that is kind of an apt comparison. It 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 has a lot of parallels in how it, it doesn't really guide you at all. It's like, yeah, here's a bunch of stuff. Good luck. But Derek's going to make the argument that Castlevania 2 was like that, and then I'm going to make the argument, well, the reason we say Dark Souls is because it's a game that's been released in the past three decades, and then we're going to get really mad at each other, and then you guys are going to go back to playing Final Fantasy XIV and leave me Actually, alone. I just got online. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I do think that it's a crutch for a lot of people, but to go hey, directly hey. back to your point... What, what? No, I, I actually, um, I was at my friend's house the uh, day before yesterday, and I actually watched him play Dark Souls for like a good hour and a half, and I was entertained. It's really fun when you're watching somebody else get the crap knocked out. Yeah, he kept getting, uh, he, he got killed by the rat, the giant mutated oh, rat. Oh, yeah. 
And then uh, he got to the gaping dragon, and uh, it wasn't the gaping dragon that was the problem. It was the damn, like, channeler up in the stands. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that was fun to watch until he broke down sobbing nearly. <laughs> the, the whole time I was home over over the summer visiting my parents, my little brother was there, and he was trying to do PvP in Dark Souls. And it was, A, there, my one of my brothers was playing on his computer. The other one was playing on PS3. So I'm sitting here. I'm like, I can't play Dark Souls. I'm having withdrawal. But I'm watching my little brother play, and it's like he's going into all the areas where you can do PvP and getting destroyed. And oh, yeah. it was really funny because he's in high school. So he's like, the lag in this game is ridiculous. It's like he wasn't even behind me, and he backstabbed me. I'm like, well, you're wearing really heavy armor and are incredibly slow. He's wearing nothing. So he's going to get behind you even if you roll away. Everybody is right now complaining that we're talking about Dark Souls right now. So oh, as, yeah, much as, right. I, as much as I want to continue talking about it. Actually, that was pretty subtle. That was You got us onto Dark Souls and didn't even directly I mention it. I know. I'm so good at this. That's uh, impressive. Don't, don't, March is coming. We have plenty. Of, hey, we have a beta. We do. That's yeah. a news item. For yeah, today. I know. I'm, I'm still. We'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about that at the end, though. We've got lots to talk about today. So I thought uh, let's start off because Final Fantasy XIV is out. The message boards are aflame with people losing their minds because they can't get into a game. Square Enix is right now apologizing that their game is so popular. But let's set all which that is, aside. Which is difficult for them. That, that's the thing is, I <laughs> like, again, just to be clear, because, you know, they're a little bit of abrasion, I... I, I sympathize with everybody that can't get online because I understand it's frustrating. You buy a game and it just you, you cannot get in, and you know now you can't make characters on most of the world. So even if you bought the game now, you couldn't play with us because our world is locked for new registrations, and they haven't said when that's going to come off. And so from that perspective, I understand everyone being frustrated, and they are working on it. But you know now Kiyoshida came out and said, look. Let's be honest, 1.0 was terrible. We didn't think you guys were going to come play this game right away. We but didn't then, think and, you loved us. And then they were like, remember before when Tomb Raider sold the bajillion and we said it didn't sell well enough? We're trying not to do that. Unfortunately, they did the exact opposite this time. And it's like, you, we didn't realize you were going to bring everybody. Well, I think they did such a long lead up with the betas. And remember, they, they showed what Final Fantasy XIV was going to look like after the whole... Uh, 2.0 craziness and people were like oh my god like this looks nuts so there, there's been a really slow build up to the game and letting so many people play the beta I mean Steven you and I were completely like ah whatever we're not interested in this then we play the beta and we're like oh this is really cool so I think they did a really good job of marketing and they did a smart business decision which was look we probably took they, speaking for them they took a huge loss we took a huge loss on Final Fantasy 14 so why would we go in preparing when we relaunch this thing that we're going to have exponential numbers let's let's see how it plays out and yeah. you know, so far it's been very positive and you know i think given a little bit of time they'll be able to get it together yeah and that's the thing is you know and i under, and again to play devil's advocate for a side that I'm not really on because I, you know, I've been playing every day. Is, oh yeah, you have been. <laughs> those people. Let, let's not talk about that. But it. Uh, well, we will. But it. You know, I appreciate that. That's frustrating people to hear. Like, oh, the the bottom line is for these people, they don't care what the problems were. They bought a game. They can't play it. And I appreciate that frustration. You know, I I don't think venting that frustration is going to do any good. Like, you go on Twitter and they, you know, they tweet a picture of the director at PAX and it's like, oh, there you are at PAX. Why don't you fix the servers? It's like, all right, now Uki Yoshida himself is not going to fix the servers. Wait, he's, he's well aware of the problems. Wait, he's not? I mean, I, I thought that, like, Cliff Blazinski was going to take care of all the, like, chainsaw glitching in, in Unreal. I thought that's how game development worked, guys. 
course. Yeah, yeah. well, and that's the thing is, again, people get frustrated, especially when you buy something and it doesn't work. So I, I sympathize, but I, I, I don't know. I'm the kind of person I just feel like it's pointless to complain. And, you know, there's says, there people who... Says the guy who went on a massive rant about Mass Effect 3. I love it, I dude. I, I, I didn't know, say they should change it, though. I, I know, didn't say I they know. should change it. I'm, I'm you, just you, playing devil's advocate. Well, I appreciate that. you got to challenge me. So <laughs> uh, there, there's a degree of, you know, artistically, I didn't agree with the Mass Effect ending. and But with, with, with Final Fantasy, they came out and they said, look, we know we screwed up. We can't fix this right away. We are working on it. So I feel like to go on Twitter and be like, you start cursing at them and being like, My, your game doesn't work. What the hell's wrong with you? It's like, all right. You're, waste, you're wasting their time now because they're going to have to reply to you via Twitter to say, hey, sorry. I mean, you know, it's the social networking people, but it's just like, it seems pointless to me. Like, I don't know. But again, I bought the game and I've been able to play. So, you know, I'm not in their position. Well, let's talk about the actual game. Is it awesome? Yes. <laughs> yes. So you guys We've, are happy. Uh, been playing a ridiculous amount. Just last night, we were on Skype. Uh, well, we were playing even before this, but our Skype call was what, like seven and a half hours long? Yeah, we signed off. It was, it was five in the morning when I signed off. Five in the morning in Central Time. Yeah, and, and uh, the entire time was just spontaneous whatever. We just had fun running from place to place, jumping in whatever activities we could find, and none of us did it with the intention of like, oh man, I have to level so I can I have get to go the level. good stuff. Yeah, I mean. That's- the game is just super well designed and so so rewarding in every aspect and incredibly addictive and i think uh the spin has been uh there haven't been a ton of articles out about this i think that a lot of the uh, fan reaction has been really negative because of the server issues but as far as the actual game once people are in i think they tend to find that it's really really good yeah and- like it- uh, one thing that characterizes a lot of mmos in beta and early game is you have the people who come in Either with Path of Exile, which I played in beta, and with, like, I played Neverwinter, I played Final Fantasy, you usually get people who come in and they go, oh, WoW is better than this, or this is just WoW with X, or Path of Exile, like, oh, it's just people complaining one way or the other about their, you know, about how this isn't as good. And almost everybody in the general chat in this game is like, dot, 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 wait, this is really good, what? Like, everybody's legitimate. that's what's funny about it to me, is everybody's confused. They're like, wait... This shouldn't be this good, but it's... Mike said last night when we were playing, just kind of... He goes, I don't think I've wanted to stay up all night playing a game in years. Now, if I may, uh, and and again, I'm not attacking the game at all, uh, I decided not to get it. And that's probably going to come as a shock to the listeners because I was so up on the game, but this is like the worst time of the year for me in terms of school. And it's like the beginning of getting back into the boarding school life and the kids are back on campus and I'm in meetings for hours and hours on end. And it just, it kind of became like, I don't literally know if I'm going to have enough time to play this game. So I, I decided to back out and maybe I'll get into it later, but it was like, I started playing the beta when it was out that weekend and I just went, you know, I'm just not feeling this right now. And it wasn't a, an attack on the game. It was just like a, I'm just not feeling it. Now, y- you guys, I think the, the best thing that you guys told me is that it's not the feeling of, wow, I need to go level up in order to do this, that, or the other thing. That sounds really good to me because when I was playing it, and I, I only played it for a limited amount of time, it did feel very wow to me. It felt like, oh, I'm going and getting quests, and I'm going out and, and accomplishing things. But two things really stuck out for me. One, 
I was way more invested in the world where I really, you know, as much as Blizzard keeps throwing crap into the World of Warcraft, I don't I don't give a crap about that universe. So Final Fantasy XIV really shocked me with how interested I became in the lore. And then the other thing that really surprised me was just the overall look of the game. It was kind of cool to just, like, go to some place and just kind of, like, point the screen and go, huh, that's gorgeous. There's this. And, it, it's kind of like that same quality you get with Shadow of the Colossus, where there's 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 areas that are just there, and you and have no reason pretty. to go visit them. Yeah, you have no reason to go visit them. They there's not anything around them. It's just like a, a it's like a vacation simulator in a way. It's like yeah. wow, that's just gorgeous. It, it there's th- that's the thing with this game that because again you know I'm vocal that I don't play MMOs and the first fifteen levels do come off. Even Dave said this. Dave, you know, Dave goes. Dave was making fun of the, there's an early quest where you have to like comb lice off of a sheep. And the very early parts of the game, the game was intentionally designed where it holds your hand for the first few levels. It shows you the world. It shows you how things work. It explains the rules to you. Like your class quests are always explaining to you. They're they're storyline based and they're challenging, but they press you to play your class the way your class is supposed to be played. Like. A lot of people get frustrated. So there are some people that are new that are getting frustrated with Conjurer, which is the healing class uh, quest. Because one of the quests, if you try to fight the monsters, you'll lose because all of your support will die and then you get ganged up on. To win the Conjurer missions, you have to play as a healer. And the whole, all the content early game is designed to teach you. So it, it, it is a little bit, you know, it holds your hand, you do quests. But I have, at this point, I have four classes above level 15 and... They're not, I haven't picked up a quest. Like I, I have, I've picked up quests, but I haven't gone out and done a quest in four or five days, which is probably a good twenty-five hours of playing at least. And I have not done a quest. Like I've been like, oh, I'll go run to this quest, and then I'll get sidetracked by some other activity. But yet I've gained four levels on all of my classes just by playing the game and having fun. It's like, hey, I'm gonna go do my hunting log. Which the hunting log, if you don't know, is. Every every ten levels, your character gets a list of monsters that are prescribed as good for that class to hunt. And if you hunt them, you get huge XP bonuses, and you can gain a couple of levels off it. So you and they take you all over the world. Like the first set is all in your starting area, but then they slowly expand out. So you have to jump all over the world to hunt down these monsters, and you get rewarded. But as you're doing it, that's what we did last night. We started doing that. So as we're doing the hunting log, it's like, oh hey, look, a free a fate, a free active time event, which are the big public quests. One of those started over there, so we run over there and we do it. And for a five-minute quest, you get, like, 7,000 XP, which, holy crap. So you, you get a significant reward, and then when you get into the, the, the grand companies, which are, like, the guilds in each country, you start getting more rewards from fates. You get points with your grand company, so you can buy cool-looking gear and customizations, and you get money. And then it's like, all right, well, we did that fate. Let's go find the, the next hunted monster. Oh, wait, there's another fate. Let's run to that. And that's how we ended up playing for seven hours last night. We set out to kill three different types of enemies for me, and we ended up all over the world exploring, looking at stuff, doing fates. We all gained a bunch of levels, had a great time, and not once did we have to go and do a quest. Yeah, and the progression is very organic. And as like Stephen was saying, the world is just really interesting to explore and look around. Yeah. Like, as part of our session last night, when we, were, we were just bouncing around, and we found this hot spring area, and we all just, like, sat in the hot spring and talked and enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was well, the world's prettiest chat room, basically. Better than Second Life, I can guarantee you. But yeah, so, like... <laughs> It's just everything about the world is conducive to to exploring and enjoying. And another really big part of that is it's incredibly impressive how much they've done with the design of the game, not just from a graphical standpoint, but from an interface standpoint. Oh, yeah. Like everything is so well laid out. And 
links to one another, and like you can fully customize the UI. Everything is so you, sharp and next gen. I think yeah, what, like you you are never fighting with the game to do anything. Like it, it's the game has removed all the cruft. Like it's just if, oh, you want to change class? All right, click one button, your class has changed. It's like you know, oh, you want to you know you got all your gear. It's all organized in a gear box. It's. Uh, are you guys playing with a controller? Because what I found was no. you remember I, I was a little. I don't want to say I was critical, but there were there were some things about the controller design I really wasn't digging on the phase three whenever I got to play the game. And then I played the official beta right before release. The game plays great with the controller. Like they 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 did the really smart thing. They did the one thing I asked them to do, which was make one button the map. So I'm able to bring up the map easily. That that like revolutionized the whole game for me. The, if you hit start, you have this nice kind of like I don't want to say the smartphone-esque, but it's like a list of all the menus and everything's really smartly designed and laid out. I think it plays very, very well with a controller. It's not my preference, but the fact that they did go through, you know, some people have said, you know, oh, we don't like targeting the controller. But then I have plenty of other friends. Like I just I, I was with some friends today that are playing it and she goes, yeah, the you know, it plays fine on the controller. You know, it's targeting is a little bit different, but you have filters. It's just, it's a matter of getting used to playing it with a controller, but it's, it's absolutely functional. It's not my thing because I, I just, I prefer a mouse and keyboard for this kind of game, but yeah. And not, not to go off that topic. One other thing I wanted to point out too, is that the reason I don't like most MMOs is because I really like exploring and storyline. And I know people claim KOTOR has a storyline, but it's not one I care about because the world is just levels. It's just here is a bunch of 3D models and some stuff for you to run around and do quests. You grab your quest, you grind, you leave. Final Fantasy XIV feels like running in Ivalice. I'm not, and yeah. I'm not, used, I'm not saying that to bait you, Rob. I'm, the, no, 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 you're right. No, I agree it, with you. It, it makes me... It's, the reason twelve disappointed me is because I love the world so much that I wish I had enjoyed being in it more. And that's why in this game, it's like, you know, MMO hardcore people are going to be like, oh, end game content, that's all I want. And, you know, maybe they wouldn't like it, I don't know. But it just walking around places and being like, wow, that looks awesome. And like walking over to look at something like actually caring about looking that and, you know, being rewarded for doing so is, I don't know. It's your KOTOR analogy. I, I really agree with that because final fantasy 12, I, I, I couldn't agree more final fantasy 12. I remember that first piece of art that they showed for the game. And it was like yep. this guy in like a long white coat walking through this, uh, it, yeah, it, was, it was, it was Vaughn in his earlier costume. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, and it looked gorgeous. And I really had this feeling of like, wow, I'm going to be in cities and stuff. And you get a little bit of that in the start of final fantasy 12, but then it, it really becomes dungeons and they're, they're kind of boring and there isn't a whole lot to them. But I got to say walking through final fantasy 14, that it, I, I'm getting like almost like emotional here, but that's what I wanted. That's what I, I imagined like this world that was going to feel like this bustling cityscape. And when I went through the first desert area of Final Fantasy 14, that's what I felt. Yeah, and it was really cool there. And that's the thing is, you know what? There are a lot of people playing this game. And like most MMOs, I'm sure that, you know, after the first month, some of them might be gone. But there are so many people playing this game, and like people are just doing things. People are talking in chat. There's NPCs all have things to say that are interestingly written. Like there's so much to it in terms of liveliness. It it doesn't just feel like a bunch of levels that people are trying to grind so they can go run molten core. Sorry, that's my that's my most recent WoW reference. Like there's a, there's an effect in the game that I love. If you're in a town where there's a certain number of people. Every time a certain number of people enter the area and it crosses the threshold, there's ambient sound to reflect bustling people. So, like, if you're in a – like, I'm in, I'm in one of the main cities right now running around. There aren't many people, so it's quiet. But 
if a ton of people were here, you'd hear like the sounds of people talking and like like running around and noises. And like in battle, it's the same way. Like if you're if you get into a fate with like 50 people, you can hear like the ambient sounds of like swords clashing and like people yelling and stuff. It's, oh, that's cool. It this game was designed by somebody who had a plan and stuck to it. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't feel like it was designed by a committee. It doesn't feel like it was designed because we need to get people to level 50 so they can do endgame content. It feels like somebody was like, all right, this is what we want to do with this world. And yeah, I have not been so in it. Is, uh, is incredibly committed to his, de- his design and his vision. And I'm, I respect that guy so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I know I, I run the risk of gushing excess because, I mean, you know, I guess somebody might not like this if they really, really utterly hate MMOs, but I don't like MMOs, and I am I have not been as enthralled by something in a long time. Like, it's not just, like, when I say I don't go, oh, this is awesome for an MMO, I'm literally just straight up. I've told Derek, and I know he doesn't agree, I say this is my favorite Final Fantasy in several iterations because it it makes me feel the same way I did when I played the ones that I really love. Yeah, I don't feel, I just don't feel the need to really, like, compare it by evaluating it to other Final Fantasies in terms of, like, this is better than 10, or this is better well, I'm not than saying, 9. I'm not saying it's better. I'm saying this is my favorite one. Like, I, I, think there's a, I think there's a difference. I'm not trying to make an objective statement. I'm saying the experience of playing this game feels more like playing the ones I played when I was younger, whereas when I played 13, I didn't feel quite as attached to it. I enjoyed it, but this is... It, it reminds me of going to Lin Blum. Like, for example, when the first time you ride the airship in this game, it reminded me of going to Lin Blum and riding and seeing the airship city in Final Fantasy IX. And just being like, this is awesome. Just the always have to compare it to Final Fantasy IX. <laughs> of Final Fantasy references everywhere in, in musical motifs, in enemies, in names. Like, the entire thing is just one gigantic package of, and I use the word in a good way, fan service. Because they really want you to know that they love Final Fantasy and they want you to enjoy all of the Final Fantasy references in the game. It's not, it doesn't ever feel shoehorned into me. Like, oh my God, that guy over there's name is Biggs, even though there there's actually a Biggs and a Wedge in the game. And they're awesome. Yeah, and they're and they're cool. Like everything that they do is really neat and doesn't feel like cheap attempts to get people to pay attention. I actually yeah, like really it, feel like they're committed to making that making making this world really lively and full of cool references. Yeah, like, that's the thing, is it has references the way a Final Fantasy has references to earlier Final Fantasy stuff. But it also feels like its own world, which is interesting to me. Like, there's a, there's a quest where you have to give a password to somebody, and they go, what's the password? Oh, it's Wild Rose. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, there's just subtle references that just show a really yeah. big appreciation for the series that this is a part of. There's, like, a part where an airship crashes, and you have to save it, and they're like, we have to get to the tiny Bronco. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just, oh, that's awesome. It's everywhere. And uh, it's just such a lovingly made game. And I'm like Steven in that uh, I've been fortunate enough to get on most of the time. I have run into the server issues a ton. Like, there was a day where I couldn't play for hours because I was just trying to log in constantly and couldn't get past the errors. And I absolutely think that it's valid to be upset at all that stuff. But I also don't think that that should be a black mark on the game's record forever because those issues will be ironed out shortly. And I'm not apologizing on their behalf. Like they should have known better, but that you know they don't they don't make it a worse game. It just makes it a frustrating launch experience. And I think it's, yeah. it's fair to complain about that. But it's not but, fair to be like, oh my god, Square Enix, you screwed up again. You ruined everything. I, I put it th- I put it this way: if you go, this launch is an abomination. The rest of the game is going to be terrible. I want a refund. You are the one who's losing. That's I mean, period. You're the you're going to miss out because. 
in two, three weeks, hopefully, I mean, hopefully even sooner, the, the issues are going to be totally ironed out and you're going to be left with just the game. Yeah. We're just so, I mean, if a bad it. launch, yeah, if a, if a bad launch experience is enough to totally make you never want to play the game again, then I, I guess you just have a different desire of game. It's like people who quit Diablo 3 because of Error 37. They're like, this is ridiculous. I don't want to play it anymore. I'm like, okay. I mean, you know, Diablo 3 is a little different single player game to yada yada. I, you know, but there were people, I'm referring to people who straight up got Error 37 the first day and re- refunded the game and have never played it since. They're like, oh, it's terrible. I don't want to play it. Well, okay. No, I, I agree with you. And we actually started off by talking and saying that, you know, I, I had seen some negative articles on uh, the login problems for Final Fantasy XIV, but I, I haven't seen the overwhelming negative journalism of, uh, you know, Error 37 and, oh my god, this is the borked launch of Diablo 3. Meanwhile, when I got on the internet that morning at 9 o'clock, I was able to play for six hours, no problem. But what I what Derek pointed out to me was that there's a lot of negativity coming from the fans on Twitter and on forums, and I, I just gotta say to you guys, like, again, I, I agree, you, you paid money for the game and, and I think you guys should be able to play it, but also keep in mind that this shows that the game is popular, and when it comes to an MMO, that is literally the best thing you can ask for because that means they're going to keep making content for it. Yeah, and that's the thing is they've said they have you know ten years of content planned out, and they've already they, they, he said at the launch party the director was like, oh, you're going to take a break. He's like, no, we're working on patch two point one. It's going to add player housing, the Crystal Tower dungeon, and a bunch of other stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. And again, I, I don't want it to sound as if you know. Be frustrated. That's cool. Be mad. Yell at Square Enix. That's fine. Don't pass on the game because you are doing yourself a disservice. It's awesome. And just, you know, if you have to wait three weeks to play, that's fine. But don't pass on it because of that. That's all I'm going to say is don't let the negative starting experience rob you of what I can assure most people are going to enjoy. I think it's really excellent. And in the interest of moving us along past Final Fantasy XIV, I will say that because so many of us are playing it, we have what, four of us? Or five, including Dave, because he hasn't been able to get on as much. But there are five of us at RPG Fan that are playing the game right now, and we thought it would be, to take Steven's word, disingenuous to just write a single review. So we're going to do an interesting new format where we're all going to share our experiences with it. So you can definitely look forward to that. Um, probably, I mean, like within the week of this podcast going up. Yeah. So, Tanoshimini. That sounds good. Sounds good. So... Final Fantasy fourteen, definitely everybody go out and take a look at it. I I think down the road I'll, I'll give it a shot. I you know, right now is just not not doing I'll I'll explain the games I'm playing right now, but there is a reason why the mobile platforms are my uh my soup du jour right now. So yeah. You don't have soup time, you don't jour. have time, man. No, no, I really don't. I, I need games that I can easily uh turn off and uh thankfully the Vita is very smart with that. So mm, the Vita. Hey, the Vita ran dead on me, and I was cursing up a storm, and I was like, wait a minute, it saved right where I was. You smart little Vita, you. Well, it, it, it'll do that unless you wait three days. Then it'll be like, I'm dead. It'll be like, I'm dead for good, dude. <laughs> okay, so I don't want to talk about that stuff just yet. So, Steven, you gave out the highest review ever, which says to me that you are either getting soft or you played a very awesome game. I, it's my highest review ever, not the uh, highest review uh, ever. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I played the Dark Eye Memoria, which... Again, to point out here, uh, our managing editor, Kyle Miller, proofread the English text. He didn't help with making the game, but we wrote it in the review, too. It's just he he proofread the text to make sure it was grammatically correct. So point that out before I say this. And as we know, The Dark Eye Chains of Satinov was a game that I tried to talk about in the podcast last year. But it was like, adventure game, none of us have heard of it, whatever, moving on. 
but oh, it was come awesome. On. We were trying. <laughs> no, no, we I, tried. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just ribbing you. But so that was one of the better adventure games I have played in years. It had it had a cool story. It was fun, great gameplay. Had some performance issues. The sequel is it takes place literally uh, shortly after the first game, and it actually stars two characters. And the narrative is such that you're playing as the character from the first game who's trying to find a way to return his girlfriend to human form. Because at the end of the last game, because of the events in the game, her body was destroyed and she was trapped in the body of a raven. Spoilers. Yeah. But it, uh... <laughs> sorry. But yes. <laughs> Didn't mean to derail. You just totally took the wind out of his sails. I really like, did. Oh, I'm sorry. What do well, I do it's hard when you're talking about an episodic game. I mean, you kind of got to give where the next game is coming, you know? Well, it's not episodic, though. It's, it's just a, like the first one is a full game. Oh, uh, okay. It's I mean, okay. I guess we can redo that if you want. No, I mean, no, 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 no. Keep going, keep going. I mean, it's, it's in my review. Happen. Well, it's in my review, and it's like it's all the news for the game is like Garon is trying to restore his girlfriend to human form. That's what you do, and I, then uh, I think we'll be fine. You can probably yeah, keep proceed. going, keep going. So you know, he basically the the setup of the game is you start out and you're talking to this merchant. He's like, "Look, I have a riddle for you. It has to do with this woman who lived thousands of years ago, and I want you to solve this riddle." So. What it is is you play as Garon trying to solve this riddle, and then every other chapter you switch to this character named Sadia, who's this exiled princess who had aspirations to become an incredibly important figure in history. And the game is basically figuring out how their stories are connected and sort of figuring out why she's disappeared from history, even though she's supposedly so important, and Garon figuring out a way to turn his girlfriend back. And... I'm not even hesitating when I say it's one of the best stories I've ever played in a game. It is, I think I think I wrote my review. It's emotionally resonant fantasy about flawed people that is just an utter delight. Like it, everything that happens is so interesting. Like, it's really hard to articulate because it's a, it's an adventure game, point and click. The gameplay is good. Some of the puzzles are a little bit like difficult because the game is very subtle in how it gives you feedback. Like. There's an early game puzzle where you're trying to distract a guy. And to distract him, you have your girlfriend, who's the raven, hide behind a pillar and act like the pillar is talking. And you have to tell her what to tell the guy. And you get like six dialogue choices where it's like, oh, yeah, do this, do this. And you're supposed to tell a story that confuses the guy so much that he has to write it down. But the game doesn't really tell you when you're doing it successfully. So, like, you tell her, like, oh, tell him that it was like 10 people that came here and they ran away to the left and yada, yada, yada. And she goes, okay. And then he goes, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. And you can keep doing that, and she'll just keep saying, okay, okay. But eventually you realize if you make the story confusing enough, she starts to go, oh, that's a little bit confusing. Oh, I'm not sure I can remember that. But I tried it like six times, and she kept saying, okay. I was like, oh, I'm just doing the wrong thing. And I went off and did something else and wasted two hours of pull what to do. There are a few puzzles like that. So if you, know, if you hate adventure games and you hate slower-paced games, you might not like it. But in terms of artwork, voice acting, writing – story it's unbelievably good it's short it's only like well short it's like 10 12 hours but it's you know i don't know i I, there's not much beyond i can say it's an adventure game it's gorgeous it has awesome characters it has great use of puzzles the two characters have different magical abilities like garon can break and restore small objects sadia has a talking staff that can like manipulate golems and stuff so it uh, it's awesome Go play and it. You would say you would say you should probably play through Chains of Satinov before you play Memoria, yeah? 
it is not necessary, I would say. Um, you'll appreciate Garen and, like, it jumps right into, it doesn't explain Garen and Nuri, the fairy's relationship to, at all. It's just like, it assumes you know, but you, I don't think you'd have to, but you would appreciate it more. So now, I, what sets this apart from other adventure games? So, like, we, we everybody lost their mind over Walking Dead last year, and, you know, I, I myself included really enjoyed that. What sets this apart? The Walking Dead, I would only lightly call an adventure game because it's more a, I would almost call it an interactive visual novel. I think that's very fair, yes. Um, whereas this is very, like, you know, you find items, you combine them, you solve puzzles, you know, you very much in the vein of King's Quest or, like, Grim Fandango, uh, you know, where the puzzles can be really challenging and, you know, sometimes it can occasionally turn into a pixel hunt, but you have, like, a, you know, you have a button that shows everything on the screen that you can interact with. Um and what really sets it apart for me is just that it's a fascinating world that's set inside of an established fantasy world. And just the dialogue, it's one of the only games I've played really ever with voice acting where I sit there and I listen to the voice acting because it, it's so interestingly written and there are so many different accents for the characters and it's the story is really what carries you through it. Like the, the adventure gameplay is very solid, but you know, it's, you know, it's not going, if you, if you hate adventure games, you're you know you're not going to like it in terms of gameplay. But I would say even maybe if you hate adventure games, the story is good enough to warrant playing through. I'll cool. probably check it out. I I don't play a lot of point and click adventure games. I don't. I just don't really have a history with them. Not that I'd hate them or anything, but I've never played one that made me go, "Oh my god!" The probably uh, the closest was was it Resonance or there was some other adventure game that came out. Um, I think it was last year that wasn't Satin, Chains of Satin out, but uh, Resonance or something like that, and I played it and I really, I really enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It looks like it's it's gorgeous just from the screenshots. The each of the screens basically looks like a pre-rendered like a piece of art. So yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I even wrote in the review absurdly gorgeous. It is incredibly beautiful to look at the world, like the areas you go through and the puzzles you solve are just that much better because of how fascinating everything looks. And unlike Satnav, Satnav kind of waits for most of the game. You're in a lot of like dark, dirty fantasy areas in the early parts of Chains of Satnav. And then at the end, you start going to some really fantastical places. This game, there's crazy places all throughout, um, partially because of the nature of like the bouncing narrative where you, you switch between the two characters and the two generations. Um, but it, it's just, yeah, it, it's gorgeous. The only real black mark on it, I would say, is a problem that I have with the first game, which is that it has severe performance issues, like, to the point where it makes the animation look very jerky, because, like, every time you click on something, every time you open the item menu or go to the main menu, it freezes for, like, 10 seconds. Like, you'll click to walk somewhere, and the game will lock up while the character's in mid-walk, and then they'll, like, teleport over, and it's just... it. I, other people have told me they don't have this problem, and it, that's why it boggles me that I've had it on three computers with both games. So there's clearly an issue that's not just my fault, but I haven't heard of anyone else having the issue. Well, just, so, just remember everybody know. jumping down my throat when I posted up a screenshot of The Last of Us just completely breaking on me, and people were like, nope, no problems over here. <laughs> nope. I am, I don't know. Well, that's on a PS3. I mean, I'm not saying you're lying, but... 
See, that's that that's that passive aggressive. You're lying, Rob. I heard him. You heard it, right, Stephen? I'm not him. saying you're lying, I'm but hurt. you're a liar. <laughs> I'm not saying it was aliens, but it's aliens. No, no and, you know and, and when it's a the PC is... game, then it's it it. It is more like uh, my brother-in-law, we were talking about Saints Row the Third, and he had to go and put his drivers back like four generations on his NVIDIA card to make the game run at 60 frames per second. Like the game would not work very well on the newest drivers. So there's always there's tons of X factors on the PC side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's why. And, you know, what? again, that should speak to the strength of, of Memoria because it is I didn't give I gave it the highest review score I've ever given because it is an unbelievably good story. It's. You would like it, Rob. I don't know if you'd like the gameplay, but the story is so good. It's like novel quality writing. Just it's the themes are incredibly well de- delivered upon. It's it's consistent. It's adult. It doesn't you know it, it it doesn't talk down to you. And they're both such interesting characters because they're not like your prototypical we're a heroic person. Garen is like this peasant bird catcher who's kind of like skeevy and sort of like now that he's like you know he he he's basically saved the world in the first game. But he didn't tell anyone about it, so he's like super sarcastic and like bitter about it. And Sadia is like kind of aggressive and like, you know, a little bit arrogant. And so that's why they're so interesting because you still care about what they're doing, but they they seem like normal people despite being in fantasy. And that's really tough to do with fantasy is to have relatable characters. And they're like, as as a one small thing, early in the game you start to see that Garen really wants to turn his friend Nuri back into a. Uh, into a human body and she's just like well why it's no big deal you know she's like I kind of like it like this and you get the sense right away that maybe he's doing it more for him than for her Mm. and I'm not going to expand on that at all because it it goes really interesting places but why I like it because I'm like wow early in the game it's like yeah you would think she'd want her body back because in the first game you got that vibe but it's like oh wait you know it's not always black and white like that so I, I can't really speak highly enough of the story. Uh, as a game, it's a it's a great adventure game. If you like them, you'll enjoy it. But if you like a fantastic story, you'll like it even more. We've had a really good year of of story and games. We got to do another narrative podcast discussion, and I, I almost hesitate to leave it with just RPGs because I think this year with uh, games like Bioshock Infinite, The Last of Us, now Memoria, it, it's well, like, been a... or like Gone Home, like the, the yeah. Game that just came out. Oh, I need like... to play that. I really need to play. It. I'm a little pissed that that's twenty bucks. That's the only thing that's keeping me from playing that game. I think twenty bucks is a little too much. Well, let's be realistic. There, are, we paid fifty bucks for Zone of the Enders, and that was three hours long. That had a Metal Gear Solid Two demo in it. Not entirely relevant here, but no, yes. no, extremely relevant because that demo was very replayable. Well, that's why we bought it. We bought it for the demo, but the, I, twenty dollars, I think, is reasonable. That's like a movie. How many movies last for four hours? I, a movie... I, I know it's it's a weird it's a weird space with the indie games. I'm like, if that game had been fifteen, I think fifteen was the magic number. It's like, wouldn't you feel a little weird if Rogue Legacy was twenty? I, I feel like that's. I feel like the fifteen twenty when you, when a game starts going up into twenty dollars, that's when it starts being a little bit like, all right, now it's not so much an impulse buy. Like I picked up La Mulana for five bucks over the the Steam sale weekend. I mean that was perfect. Well, I think what you're speaking from is being spoiled by Steam sales. I rarely buy anything if it's not on Steam sale. No, that's true. I'm, I Rogue Legacy came down to twelve dollars, and I was like, nope, not good enough. Well, it's the thing is because at the back of your head, you're always going, this game is going to be $5 at some point. Yeah. And I have a million games right now because all the other ones are $5 at some point. I'm really glad. I'm not going to buy Rogue Legacy until it comes out on Vita now because now that I know it's coming to Vita, that's exactly where I want to play that kind of game. Yeah, I really really hope that, like, 
man, imagine if Steam and PlayStation, with with all the indie titles that are coming out on PlayStation 4, like Galaxy looks freaking incredible. I really want to play Galaxy. Imagine if all these games, it was like, okay, you buy the license, you can play it on your Vita, you also have it on Steam, and you also have it on the PlayStation 4. It would be hard to work that out in terms of development, because, you know, you, you got to develop it for each platform. But I suspect with Sony's current stance, they might be somewhat amenable to that because they already have a decent relationship with Steam because PS3 is the only platform you can run Steam on a console. I mean, it's, you know, it's... They haven't taken advantage... Like, that. that's the one thing that I'm, I'm like... Sony's doing a lot really, really right. Like, the, the PS Vita is a great, sexy device. I, I bought one. I'm, I'm super happy I have it. And then it has, like, the cross-play thing. But as I was talking to Derek about... I tried crossplay. It only works on a few games right now. Of course, it's going to work more on PlayStation 4. You mean but it, in remote play, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Remote play. Thank you. Uh, I tried the remote play, and it, it was sluggish, and it doesn't really work on any games now. It will hopefully work on more games on PlayStation 4. It's and, and then you have well, like all these PlayStation. Keep in mind what they said. What they said with PS4, they said that almost every game is going to work with remote play unless it needs like you know a certain kind of controls that aren't accessible on the Vita. And they showed it at Gamescom running. They showed Assassin's Creed, whatever, Assassin's Creed Mega Pirate running on a Vita, and it looked good. <laughs> okay, that's what they need to rename it. But uh, uh-huh. it, it, but I, I got to say, like, I'm worried about latency. And then, like, the PlayStation 1 games on the Vita, that's freaking awesome. I love that. You know, PlayStation 2 games, I don't know if it's even possible, but imagine how awesome that would be. Like, the Vita. No, system... I, I agree, and I, yeah. I think they realize that. I really feel like the Vita, this is going to be the make or break year for Vita. I think starting when PlayStation 4 comes out, you've got like 365 days to get it right. To If all these games really do come out and, and Sony's indie push, you could have a really, really amazing device. I didn't mean to derail because we were talking about uh, uh, pricing on Memoria, and I apologize for that. But I just, uh, well, we were talking about pricing on Gone Home. No, it's, you know, it's you know organic conversation. We're good. But it, no, I... I, I I think that the Vita is already getting to a point where they know what they're doing with it. And I think it's it'll be around no matter what. Whether it sells gangbusters, I don't know. I think that has a lot to do with the price of the memory. Because the it's cheaper now, but it's still a little bit pricey. It's still insane. Let, let's just call it what it is. It's still insane. Yeah, but I think the pricing will help. But I think with all the indie games coming to Vita... You're going to see the slow drip of studio titles, too. And at this point, I'm actually happy having a lot of indie games because some of them tend to be the experiences I want more now. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Like the uh, That was part of the reason I didn't pick up Final Fantasy XIV was because I've kind of been on a smaller game kick. Like, I, I've, I've been playing a lot of smaller games. I'm, I'm looking. My entire Steam wish list is pretty much made up of small titles. That I'll get, like, I played Don't Starve for, like, a night. Like, there was one night where Jackie was just like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm playing Don't Starve, and I'm going to play this game until I die. Oop, I died. Okay, good. I got, like, you know, six hours of fun out of that. I am happy right now. (laughs) And I can go back to it whenever I want. Like, the indie titles have really been, like, taking my attention lately. Yeah, well, it's it's a, again, I, I hate to keep us too far off track, but... It's a space where you can take a creative risk and make something that might not play out or be that much fun. And for both the developer, it doesn't destroy you. And for the player, it's 15, 20 bucks. Yeah, and then you get something like FTL, which is better than Mass Effect. There, I said it. <laughs> FTL is a pretty fantastic game. <laughs> it's a very fantastic game. It is game. stupid addictive. But yeah, we'll, let's, let's slide ourselves yeah, back on top. We'll have a discussion about this another time. I apologize. I, just, I, I get excited about this stuff. So Memoria is totally worth it, and apparently everyone should buy it. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you have any love for a good story in a game, you should probably play it. Like, even if you aren't totally sold on the point and click, it's still, it's such a good story that I think you'd still find it worthwhile. Cool, cool. If you can tolerate the crappy, quote-unquote, gameplay in The Walking Dead, you can tolerate it in this. It's it's a very similar setup. I, I don't like the gameplay in Walking Dead, but... No, the I, don't, story, I don't think the story is excellent. You don't, yeah, you don't play The Walking Dead. It, it's a lot like Heavy Rain in that respect. Ha ha ha! <laughs> you Jason. see what I did there, Jason? Jason, Jason. Oh God! Uh, can I can I make a prediction right now? I know we're not at the end of the year. I'm gonna predict that Two Souls is gonna tank like no other. I think that game is is in the. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think I that game's think... in trouble. It seems like it was really uh, hyped when it was first announced, and it seems like it's been kind of in a weird place in terms of how much it's been in the spotlight. I haven't really heard a lot of excitement or hype for the game at all. So, it's, I mean, and the last time they showed it, it really threw people. It looked rough. Life. I think, especially, yeah. Be, well, for one, they it seemed almost completely different thematically than the first trailer, and for two, after seeing a game like The Last of Us. Beyond Two Souls doesn't look so great. I know, I know the three of us aren't people that are huge on graphics, but you know the average mainstream person is going to be like, "Well, that game doesn't look as good as Last of Us." So, ah. well, yeah. that's the thing is they purport how great it looks and how incredible the facial animation is, and I'm like, guys, you've been outdone by The Last of Us already. I well, was like, it... Uncharted Three looks better than Heavy Rain. Well, the Last it... of Us looks look like character-wise, but you know that's not the only factor. The you know. I think the way they're marketing it is coming off as pretentious and maybe not what people want to play. Like, the poster for the game is a movie poster. Like, it says Willem Dafoe, uh, girl from Juno, that I think is a good actress. <laughs> um, no, that's what it is. It's like Dafoe and, um, gosh, I can't remember her I name. Ellen Page. Ellen, <laughs> Ellen Page. Ellen Page. There and it is. It's a movie poster. I'm like, guys, you got to – nobody knows what kind of game this is. But they, this gets to what – I talked about before when David Cage went on his whole spiel about what video games need and they they need to be more like movies. <sighs> David Cage wants to be a movie director. Okay? And I I'm very annoyed at what he says about movies and video games and, and I'm I'm trying to set that aside, but I agree with Steven's point. They're marketing this game very weirdly. I agree with Derek's point. When they showed it last, remember when we had the E3 podcast? I was actually listening to it a bit just to remember some of the crazy stuff that we were talking about with E3. But I actually said the facial stuff looks really, really good in Beyond Two Souls, but the environments look terrible. Like it, It's like all the polygons to bring out emotion went into Ellen Page's face. And that's cool, but that just means the rest of the game looks like... You get your uncanny valley, but it's with the world instead of the people. Yeah, no, it, it's true, and I and I think when they showed the game and it and it turned into the first chapter of Metal Gear Solid Four, everyone was like, "What?" Like all of a sudden she is in you know Arab land and fighting terrorists. Arab land, really? What? <laughs> like, Arab land? Where was she? <laughs> I was going to totally <laughs> troll you and say Arabia. <laughs> Oh God! That would have no. We're, that we're would not have going. Been very well played, Steve. <laughs> we're not. We're not going there. Anyways, move no, on. No, but but that's what I mean. Is like that that game when it looked gritty and it looked noir. It it, it looked different, and then it kind of. I don't know. Maybe they'll make it make thematic sense. You guys ever had that where like you see the first trailer for a movie and you're like, oh okay, I get what that movie's all about, and then you see the te- second trailer and you're like, I have no idea what the hell this movie's about now. Like that's how I felt about Dark Knight Rises. Like, the first trailer, I was like, okay, I think I know where you're going. And then the second trailer, I was like, 
What? Huh, there's a lot of stuff. I don't know how you're going to make all the links. And to be fair, I think that's a good movie. I don't think they made all the links very well. And that's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking when I look at Beyond Two Souls. As an example, you look at Blade Runner. People who haven't seen Blade Runner look at it. They go Harrison Ford. They look at the cover. They look at it's sci-fi. They go, oh, this is a sci-fi action flick. And then they see it and they're like, that was boring. Because it's not. But it, the studio marketed Blade Runner as an action movie. Right. And that's... I think you're coming up against nobody knows what Beyond Two Souls is. Like, is it a supernatural thriller where she has powers? Is it a, a gritty military shooter? Like, yeah, what the hell is going on? Downplayed the powers. Have you guys noticed that? Like, when the free- game first yeah. came out, it was like, this is Ghost Trick. And now it's like, you know, I, I thought we were going to be like possessing the dog food, like that one GameCube game. I was really <laughs> excited. Wait, what? Oh, there- Geist? Yes, thank you, Derek. Oh, I, remember, I remember that game. Uh, but I was really – I was intrigued by it, and now it's like they're downplaying it. And so I, I don't get it. I, it. Weird conversation to get on with Beyond Two Souls. When does that game come out? Is it October? I honestly have no idea. I'm, I'm going to pull it up real quick. So yeah, somebody somebody sure. else say something for a second. Talk to the well, audience are, while I – Are we done Are we done talking about this? I, I think yeah. so. We're, we're having fun. I haven't talked to you guys in a long time. That's true. You haven't. You've been it, talking to your kids, and by your kids, I mean your students. Yeah, seriously. It's not going to be weird now that you're married. You could you could very well in the future say the words "my kids" and actually be talking about your own kids. Can you please knock on wood as hard as possible? It comes out October eighth. So there's the other problem: is that this game is coming out after Grand Theft Auto Five and before the PlayStation Five, PlayStation Five, PlayStation Four, and Xbox One launch. Well, you're not wrong. It is coming up before the PlayStation 5. Yeah, true. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. I, do, I don't wish that game ill. I mean, I, I really hope it's awesome. I just, I don't know what to make of it anymore. And I don't think Sony knows what to make of it anymore. I think for the random random encounter drinking game, we need to add Rob hates David Cage to take a shot. Uh, it's true. Uh, and not that I'm mocking you for it, because I think he, that dude comes off funny, but that would definitely be a, a, a good rule to work in. Okay, all right, so, so yes, thank you very much. Okay, fine, 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 fine. All right, uh, uh, Derek, you also have, what was it, Sweet Fuse? Yeah, Sweet Fuse, at your side. That's the game I've been playing over the last week when I wasn't completely sucked into Final Fantasy XIV. All ten so, minutes. Yeah, all, all ten minutes, no. I've, I, I actually, I beat it twice. Um, Final Fantasy XIV? <laughs> yeah, I beat Final Fantasy XIV twice. I beat the No MMO. problem, Game, game's no big deal, man. Nah, so Sweet Fuse is a PSP game that uh, just came out. It's uh, actually being released at retail as well as digitally, but I just played a digital Oh, really? Top. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I didn't well, know. Um... Like, for stores that carry them. Oh, probably, so probably like your local GameSpot stop thing. If, yeah, if your GameStop still even carries PSP games, because a lot of them don't now. But anyway, so this is a new PSP game. It is from, uh, well, it was actually developed by Idea Factory, who doesn't have have the best track record but it was published by axis games who you may know as the people who did blaze blue and uh virtues last reward 999 well published all of those so it's a visual novel and it is uh distinctive for being an otome game which there aren't very many of in north america or english really otome games are visual novels where you play as a girl trying to romance one of several dudes and for that reason i'm sure that makes a lot of players uncomfortable which I think they should get over it, but, you know, whatever. So I would say I'm a guy and I played it, but I'm a special case. Uh, so 
it's it's a game. It's a visual novel. Um, it actually kind of has interesting shades of 999 and VLR, although it's not nearly as grim. It's the story basically is all right. So it's it's a visual novel. So it's a game where you you're reading almost the entire time. Uh, making dialogue choices that affect what kind of ending you get and story branch you get. So you're playing as Saki Inafune, who is the fictional niece of game developer Keiji Inafune, like the guy who made Mega Man, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so is like it, a little bit, yeah, but kind of awesome. A lot of it. So so you're playing as uh, his niece, and the story goes that he's opening a new theme park, and you've been invited to the opening day. Because <laughs> <laughs> why wouldn't you, right? I love that. Yeah, so you you go to the opening day, and then during the opening ceremonies, things are disrupted by this uh, guy in a pig suit named Count Hogstein, who's who basically says that he's going to blow up the theme park unless seven people come forward and play this game of his. I feel where... like I'm having a brain aneurysm right now. Is this really happening? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so these well, that's people... why these visual novels are so cool. Yeah, it actually is. It's really entertaining. So seven people have to play these games. These games that are really reminiscent of things like VLR, and that they have to solve riddles and puzzles. And if they don't, a bomb blows up and they die. So this girl Saki volunteers to play the game, and it turns out that she's the only person to volunteer. The other six people that got caught up in it, caught up in it, were all there for different reasons. So it's her and these six other guys. And over the course of a week, you basically just you're you're solving these puzzles, although the puzzles are actually embedded into the narrative, so it's not a puzzle game. Um, the only actual gameplay really is when you choose who to talk to of these guys, and when you talk to them, your affection with them goes up, and depending on who you've spent the most time with or been the most nice to, by like the fourth day of the week, um, the last three days will sort of follow their story from then on, and you'll learn about that character's backstory, and you'll get all romantic with him, and if you're lucky, maybe you'll get to kiss them at the end. Who knows? So, yeah, so I don't remember where I was going with that. So anyway, gameplay-wise, there's not a lot to the actual gameplay other than reading, but there's a lot of really snappy, smart writing in it. Like I said before, it feels a lot like a more lighthearted version of a game like VLR. where It's, it's the same localizers and the same writers, yeah, I believe. Yeah, it, it is, actually, which is why it's so eerily reminiscent of that. So it's not, it's not super dark or anything. I mean, yeah, they are playing games and risking their lives and everything, but the writing is just full of... It, it's... I would describe it as just really fun. It's it's fun prose. It's not super sophisticated. Like, it's not going to bend your mind the way VLR would, but it's interesting to sort of think about what the great... Because there's, there's an overarching mystery that ties everybody together. Like, why are all of these people here? And is it a coincidence, or is it something more? Of course it's something more. So... There's the overarching mystery that you're solving bit by bit as you get to learn, as you get to know each of the guys, as well as getting to know each of their particular backstories. And you have to play through it at least twice to get the full, to sort of understand the full narrative. Although if you play through it more than that, you can understand more specifically why each guy is there at the park. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's just really fun. It's full of, uh, it's very jokey and lighthearted for the most part, and it's not dumb. Like, I really don't like. Neptunia type games because I feel like the anime humor is really sort of lowbrow to Juven the point of being offensive. Juvenile, basically. Right, like hee hee, so moe, kawaii, and none of it ever really comes across as as smart. It's just sort of pandering, really. Like, wow, look at this fan service. It's so cool. But whereas a game, Sweet Fuse, I think is is legitimately funny because 
you can tell that the localizers had a lot of fun writing the characters and trying to make their their lines sound natural in English. It's not. It's obviously not just a word for word translation from Japanese to English because that's not how localization works. Um, but yeah, every character is like really flavored. Uh, there's there's just a lot of cool interactions because the guys are really really different from one another. So seeing them interact is oftentimes hilarious. Like you have this hard-boiled detective guy who's really he's really straight-laced and then there's this other guy that's basically an escort and uh he's got a really fiery temper and so they're always butting heads and he's like the detective guy will be like why don't you try listening to what the announcer is saying so we can solve the puzzle and the escort guy's like why don't you try listening to my fist in your face (laughs) just like it's it's goofy but it never feels dumb so anyway like I don't really know what else to say about it. It's a fun visual novel. Um, I'll say, that's I, what, it sounds like the gist of it is if you enjoy visual novels, you will probably enjoy the game. Yeah, and it's it's just got such a fun it's got such a fun localization and such a good sense of humor that I really enjoyed the entire time I was playing it. It's not incredibly long. Uh, the first playthrough probably took me about five hours, and the second one took me about two and a half. Just because you can you can skip any dialogue you've read, and so I went back and made different choices, and certain things don't even unlock until your second playthrough. So yeah, it's it's just it's a super fun visual novel. If you're looking for something that's not overly serious but still pretty smart, and it has good writing and puns and that kind of stuff, I'd say go for it. If if you ever if you played Virtue's Last Reward or Nine Nine Nine, and found the odd moments of humor really funny like I did, then you will love Sweet Fuse because it's almost entirely that. Like cool. when Sigma's making cat puns and stuff, you're like, what the hell is wrong? Well, that was the thing is when I first heard the concept of this game, I was like, "Oh, that doesn't sound like it's for me." But now, uh, I don't know. After your, I read your review that's going up soon, and I don't know. I actually, it, I've had a, a much greater appreciation for those kinds of games lately because they're just something that you can kind of pick up and enjoy for a little bit and then put down. Yeah, and I also think that if you're if you're looking at this game, like if you go look up the website or for or check out my review, which should be up, it'll be up before this podcast is posted. You know, just it is basically at its heart, it is a game where you play as a girl dating guys. But don't let that turn you off. If you're if you're a guy and you don't want to date guys, like, don't worry about it. It's yeah. At the end of each person's story, you end up kissing the guy. But it, it's more it's more about if it makes you uncomfortable. Think of all the women who have to play games as a guy and kiss girls. Right. Seriously, like every game ever. So so just enjoy the ride. It's just it's a fun it's a fun story. I, I found myself thoroughly enthralled. It, and it's not, like I said, it's not the smartest thing ever, but it's fun. And not, when I say smart, I mean, like, I'm, I'm going in circles here. When I say it's not the smartest thing ever, I mean it's not going to make you, like, consider science theory. It's just going to make you laugh and enjoy the witty banter between the characters. I'm done. I can't think of anything else to say. About I, I, I think you're saying what, that you if really there's like anything, it. If there's anything I hate more than banter, it's witty banter. Take this, Michael. Take this and love us again. Take this and love us again. I'm not going to take that. What are you talking about? Poor, pathetic Michael. What are you guys <laughs> referencing? <laughs> Rest of development. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Take a look at Banner, Michael. All right. So, anywho, nice Derek, Derek was talking a lot about how much he loves it. So, that's awesome. So, Sweet Rob, Views. And you were zoned out the whole time. I was yelling. Rob, Rob come play Final Fantasy with us. We're really nice now. So nice. oh, I thought okay. I thought you were gonna do like the one of us, one of us, and you I guys mean, don't. That you guys also don't probably mind. do that. At you this don't know point. what movie that's from, so I don't want to hear that. 
Well, I feel like I did an awful job describing Sweet Fuse and why it's fun, but it's uh, it's fun if you like visual novels, play it. So let's move on to another thing. Rob, you've been enjoying a new game system, have you not? I've been enjoying a lot of stuff, so I, I have to I have to start the story with why I got a Vita. Um, so I, I I got Fire Emblem Awakening, and I started playing that on my 3DS. And uh, let me be very clear. I'm going to be very... Uh, I shouldn't say very. I'm going to be a little negative on Fire Emblem. I like it. I think it's a good game. I think it's fun. I th- wait, wait, wait. Sorry. I got to pause real quick. Yes? Did you say we didn't know where one of us, one of us is from? Yeah. It's from Freaks. Thank you. Did you look that up? I'm playing Final Fantasy. Well, I mean, you can you can press the Windows button and bring it up. Did you actually know that? Have you actually seen the movie? Because the movie I is have terrifying. Seen Freaks. Yes. The ending of that movie is terrifying, but anywho, well, so... Let's not get off topic. I just wanted to sorry, point out sorry, that sorry, I knew sorry, what you were talking about. Uh, so, I, I started playing Fire Emblem, and... I really, really liked it at the start. I found it very, very tight, very uh, snappy. You know, nice fit- menus, pretty good sound effects, great music. Yeah, I was, I was really digging on it. Then the same problems that Steven and Derek mentioned really started to rear their ugly head. Um, I don't think the game is balanced at all. I think that the difficulty levels in the game are beyond stupid. Because because on normal no because on normal the game is ridiculously easy like it is uh, I could probably beat every map with six characters just pair them all up and they would just demolish everything on screen they wouldn't even be touched so normal got way too easy after about chapter four and I was like oh my god I don't want to play this anymore and then I I said okay you know what maybe I should have played on hard. And so I pumped the game up to hard. And keep in mind, I'm playing with the permadeath on the entire time. The way you ha- should be. Jake right. Jake. Well, I'm going to get to that in a second because I think there's a whole problem there with a lot of the that, fans. Um, no, I, th- I think that having that option is nothing but a smart idea. No, no, but no. Go, I, no go I, I'm getting there. So then I start playing it on hard and I found the game challenging, but I found it challenging for all the wrong reasons. Because all it was was, hey, the enemies are hitting me a hell of a lot more. I actually died on the first fight because the mage got a 3% chance to critical on my tactician, the main avatar character. And guess what? If you lose the main avatar character or Krom during a fight, you lose and you have to you have to restart. He got a 3% chance to critical on 6 damage, which would have been nothing, and he killed me in one hit. And I was like, oh. Alright. So the the game's difficulty stems from, hey, we're just going to make the enemies hit more, and they're going to hit harder. So then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to grind. And I grind, uh, did a little bit of grinding, and the game went back to being just as easy again. So all it is is that if you play the game on hard... You're just wasting your time. You're just requiring. If you're, if you're playing, if you're playing the game on hard, it's get past these early missions. They're a little bit tough and cheap to get to chapter twelve or chapter whatever where you can grind. Then the game breaks. Lunatic yeah, is it, just that on acid. Right, and it, and it just it really doesn't matter which difficulty level you play on because once you get to past chapter four, the DLC opens, and and the DLC is really nefarious. I've got to say, like I, I I actually find the DLC to be kind of stupid because. The two DLC, there were three DLC maps that are basically grinding maps that came out when the game came out. They now charge you six dollars for those three maps combined. I, I got the thirty dollar coupon from getting Shin Megami Tensei four at the same time, so I said, okay, screw it. Everybody says that these maps are perfect for grinding. Let's see what it is. Yeah, they're not kidding because you'll grind like four or five levels on those maps every time you play them, and they last like five minutes. So then the game, the game just breaks. 
the, the game completely and, breaks. And what frustrates me is that you have all these vocal people who go, oh, we hate DLC unless it's substantial, and it was taken out of the game, yada, yada. And then they rip into companies for adding DLC where you can buy a few levels when it seems very clear to me that the DLC in Fire Emblem is basically just cleverly dis- cleverly disguised leveling. Yeah, no, it really is. and it's. I mean, I guess unless you are into the characters and the story, but I... I absolutely like the writing in the game is good. Eight four are great at localizing. I just think the characters are all obnoxious tropes, and I don't care about any of them. I, and, I like some of them. I, I like some. Of, I I do like the mage character and how like you know it, it's like talking to a PhD from Yale. I say that with all the love and respect out there because we have a PhD at Yale at this school, and I actually find her to be incredible. But she does talk like that, <laughs> and it's really funny, and I I enjoyed that. But like. The, the DLC in the game, uh, I gotta say, I find it to be a little disgusting, because it's like, <laughs> no, 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 it really is, because it's like, oh, you can get these three maps for $6, and they give you new characters, and like, if you bought all this content, I think there's like $80 worth of content on there. Like, that's kind of well, sick. To, to, the, to their defense, wasn't most of it free when it came out? Like, is it wasn't it all free when it first came out? I don't think all of it was. Uh, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of content that you can download that is free, but a lot of these quote story based maps are you got to pay for them. And so I I really don't like that. But you know they're not forcing you to do it. They're not they're not holding a gun to your head. So whatever. And the, and the game and the game is very large and substantial without the. DLC. Oh, the game's huge. So I I mean the the number of uh, the number of old units that they put into the game and old challenge groups that they put in it's it's ridiculous. Like you can't even it it'll just boggle your mind if you go online right now, Stephen, and download all those maps. You'll be like, wow, there's like 50 battles. Okay. And you can get you can get a recruitable character for each one of those fifty battles. It's awesome, but I just find the the difficulty to be completely broken. It comes down to normal is way too easy, hard is you're wasting your time, and lunatic is you are Steven Myrink and you hate yourself. I felt like I hated myself after lunatic. Yeah, people. The thing is, people were like, "Don't play on lunatic. You'll like the game more." And then I did that. I took their advice, and I hated it more. Because then it wasn't too hard. It wasn't impossibly hard. It was too easy. Yeah, and 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 hard is very very easy if you grind. And then of course people start saying, well maybe you shouldn't grind. Well, I- I'm sorry, but like, well there's... that's the thing is the kind of customization that is available in like Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Server Segway uh, is to the to the extent where it's more enjoyable for me to customize my characters in those games because even if I do break Final Fantasy Tactics. I still have the story to fall back on. I still have all this interesting customization. In Fire Emblem, you're so much more limited, and the the nature of the game is just set up so differently that it, I don't know. It, well, I I will say this: I much. am I, I am in the minority because I know most everybody thinks Fire Emblem is like the greatest thing ever. So. I think I think it's a good game. I I, I don't know if I'm going to finish it. I actually think the game's gotten better since you open up the big plot development and you're able to recruit. Your your units can get married, and you you can recruit the children, and we t- we mentioned that on a previous podcast. I actually think the game gets a lot better when you can recruit the kids because the kids add like a kind of X factor to the game, and it's kind of there's kind of a cool meta game where like, hey, if you got the two magicians to hook up, then they're gonna make this really strong magic user character. That's kind of cool. I I do like that, and the story is there. It's all right. Dun 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 dun. dun. It, it's it's okay, but. Uh, Overall, my biggest problem with the game is that the game has no tactics. It yeah, really, that's, that's it the thing, really is doesn't. that people say, oh, Final Fantasy Tactics, you break it, it's too easy, yada, yada, yada. There's no tactics. Yeah, but the rest of the customization is fun. Final 
Fire Emblem, it's like there's no tags. It's just jack up a character and then everything dies. Well, and the the enemies are so... You're not fighting... uh, Let's be real clear here. You are not fighting actual enemies in this game. You are fighting cannon fodder. The, the enemies just rush straight at you. They don't try to protect themselves. They don't play smart. You know, a mage comes up and just, you know, gets within one square of your ultimate tanky unit, does like one damage, and then gets blown away on the next turn. Or and, not even the next turn, the counterattack will come. Yeah, and, and, and I think the counterattack system in the game is completely broken because the only way the game has, the only reason I've gotten game overs in the game, besides the one time I got critical, is when I have one of my ultimate characters and I'll have like seven enemies lining up to take him out. The ultimate character will take out each enemy individually with their counterattack, but that enemy will still do three or four points of damage. Well, when seven dudes just rush my one guy and kill him, I don't find that to be, oh, the game beat me because of tactics. No, the game just marched a bunch of zombies at me and beat me. <laughs> well, that's it's the not, thing that, again, again, I know some people like this game, and I hate to be so negative on it, but... What I found in lunatic mode was that the only viable strategy was, A, you had to move to an exact square because, again, I started right from the beginning, so I couldn't, like, carry anything over. So I have basic units. Everybody is a, is dead in one hit. So my only strategy was to take the big heavy dude, put him out there, and he would kill everything with counterattacks. And if he ever died, it was the end of the game. Yeah, yeah. And also, I, this gets to, I posted on the board, so feel free, you know, anybody listening to this, uh, go to our message boards and post on the Fire Emblem thread. The one thing that really, really gets me about this game is, everybody says, including you guys, you got to play with the permadeath. Okay, I agree. I think the game is structured in a way that you have to play with permadeath. But then everybody says, oh man, I kept replaying that map until I got through without losing anybody. That's not permadeath! That's you replaying the situation over and over again. That's not you enjoying the permadeath aspect of the game. That's putting a useless no, no, no. That, that, on the map. No, I, I disagree silly. with that. I disagree with that. That's that's how you see it. But permadeath people, some people play it with permadeath where they go, yeah, you know, I'll let people die. And if they don't, the fact is it's still there and it's still challenging them to tactically complete the map. That's where some of the only tactics do come from but, is... I don't consider this battle a success. I lost somebody, so I'm going to redo it. The permadeath encouraged you to do that. If there's no permadeath, you're just like, well, Derek made a great point when we were talking about it, which is without permadeath, you can win every battle just by throwing your units at the enemies until the enemies are dead. Well, right? Yeah, sure. It doesn't and, matter what unit you use either. Yeah. yeah. But but do you get my point? It's like an arbitrary... I agree with you, Stephen. If somebody said... Like, I lost uh, Sully. I lost the female knight character. I lost her very early because I made a stupid move on, like, the fourth or fifth map, and I went, wow, she died. And you know what I said to myself? I'm playing with permadeath. I made a mistake. I am going to keep playing because that was... My, this wasn't XCOM. This wasn't my sniper blowing up his own piece of cover, which I know I <laughs> reference that all the time, but it really frustrates me. And that moment, I, I don't think I've ever screamed that much at a game in my life. But like... I don't I, know. I think, I, I think I've heard that before. I know, but I for think... For other, other occurrences. I think you heard me at that exact moment. I think all of America <laughs> heard me. See, but, I... I appreciate what you're saying about the permadeath, but that's that's the way you're looking at it yourself. But for me, I look at it as I have permadeath. I'm now forced to play this because my character could die. I'm forced to play it more tactically. And that's, to be honest, that's why I like the one Fire Emblem I beat. I beat uh, Fire Emblem on GameCube, uh, not Radiant Dawn, Path of Radiance. 
pool of radiance. Path but, of radiance. Isn't, but isn't it, it? It's an arbitrary condition. It would be like if Derek said, "Hey, I'm going to play this game, and I, on this map, I'm not going to let my hit points fall below a quarter of my maximum." Oh, it did. Now I need to restart. It's just an arbitrary condition that you're putting. But that's on like, th- but that's like saying, "Oh, I'm going to play Dark Souls, but I'm going to cut the power every time I die because I don't want to lose my souls." Like that's an arbit- or losing your souls is completely arbitrary. But I, exactly that. No, no, no. You just you just agreed with my point. It, it's you're not playing in the spirit of the game. The spirit of the game with the permadeath is if you make mistakes, the story can continue. Why are people who are talking about the permadeath what, just play it on casual? If See, I think that's well, that's the thing is some people are doing that, but I think I think you're looking at it from your perspective of oh, well, you ha- if you're not playing it that way, you're doing it wrong. The the thing is with permadeath on. It's not like, oh, I restart the battle every time someone dies in casual mode. It's permadeath. Someone died. I tactically failed the map. If permadeath isn't there, there's nothing to stop you from going, oh, okay, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll muscle yeah. through this and then they'll be back. I, I guess it just feels like an arbitrary. I, I feel like I'm in the middle of the argument I had last night with a bunch of guys at the bar about how we play first person shooters and they're all the inverted people and I am the non inverted person. And they were sitting there arguing with me about, well, that's the way your neck moves. And I said, okay, I want you guys to imagine a. Imagine the fire. No, no, no. I said, imagine a joystick on your back. You want to, you want to look down, so you press the joystick up to arch your back. You want to look up, so, so you arch the joystick down. Well, guess what, guys? When you want to look left, you move the joystick to the right. So if you really are going to make the inverted argument, then that means you need to invert the x-axis as well as the y-axis. I'm See, not. I'm not saying that that uh, – don't get me wrong. I don't care the way people play first-person shooters, but I got really irritated when people were like, well, that's the way your body moves. And I said, okay, put a joystick on your back. Well, so I, think the problem, I, think, I think the problem with this argument is that it was you're playing first-person shooters with a controller. <laughs> well, I, so, I agree. Do you, play invert, do you play invert with a mouse and keyboard, Steven? Not with a mouse and keyboard, no. But that's yeah, because it makes no freaking sense. But like on, on a controller, I do invert the controls. I invert the yeah. up and down. I have no problem with that, but they were trying to tell me that, like, it makes sense in terms of how your neck moves, and I said, well, not in terms of how your torso moves, so what's the point? Like, I don't know, it just, it was a very frustrating... I'll, I'll admit, I agree with you, but I do think it's getting a little too deep into semantics. I, I know, I, it, this is why you should not have arguments in a bar about video games. It's you shouldn't very... have arguments about anything in a bar. No, I, I know, but, uh, but to get back to the permadeath the, thing, I just... The tactic I, in a bar is, yeah, man, totally! Totally, dude! I just... Uh, I see what you're saying, Stephen, and I think that I'm viewing it as the spiritual nature of the game, which is permadeath allows the story to continue if you make mistakes, and I really like that. And I think other people are using that as a challenge rather than playing in the spirit of the game, and that frustrates me. And you know, this is coming from a guy who, you know, I save scum to the living hell out of XCOM. I will freely admit that. But I also think that Fire Emblem Fire Emblem doesn't have that X factor so much as XCOM, and that's actually one reason why I do like Fire that Emblem. Is, that is a little almost too on the nose for me, but go on. <laughs> I didn't even realize what I did. It doesn't have that that randomness, if that makes more sense. At Fire Emblem, you can kind of see it coming when you're about ready to get screwed. Uh, but So, anywho, I became very frustrated with Fire Emblem, and I was like, I don't really like this tactical game. I, I, I'm enjoying the, the character interactions. I really like the support system, but I'm not digging this game as much as I thought I would. So then I finally said, screw it. I had a ton of money saved up on my Discover card re- reward points, and I said, I'm you getting... You finally did what we've been telling you to do yes. for, like, a year. Yep, I got a Vita. The first game I picked up was Tactics Ogre, and I feel like I died and went to heaven. 
because Tactics Ogre is if awesome. if Fire Emblem is Dungeons and Dragons, Tactics Ogre is Warhammer. Where so, is, so how how are you enjoying Final Fantasy Tactics too? No, this is Final <laughs> Fantasy Tactics Zero. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's true. Ha <laughs> yeah, ha. It's a remake. So if you remake it and then you move the stick up, then <laughs> the game goes down. No, I was I was actually trying to cut in, but you guys uh you were really heated there. I was just gonna say I, I can't be the only person that was moving my head back or like left and right. No, actually, the joystick I, conversation. I was like, would I? Would I go left? Would I go right? That's uh, why when he was saying it, I went, "You're blowing my mind right now." Because uh, I was doing it, and I was like, "This doesn't make any what." And then I and then when I when I told the guys to have the joypad on their back, that's when they all got very angry with me because nobody had a counter argument to that. I was like, if you're gonna make the uh, if you're gonna make the argument about your head going up when you pre- if you're gonna make the argument about your head going down when you press up, then that also means that when you press right, your torso needs to go turning left. Are we talking about tactics ogre? I know tactics. So, tactics ogre is the precursor to Final Fantasy Tactics. It came out in 1994, uh, 1995 for the Famicom. A Super Famicom. So I waited 20 years almost to play this game. Because so I remember actually seeing it in like an old well, issue of Game Fan. And it, they did were, it actually it came out in English already? I didn't think it did. It came out in English on the PlayStation 1. They did a really quick port after Final Fantasy Tactics, and it wasn't very good. Oh, okay. They, they ported it, and they kind of butchered it. So I, But I didn't play it on the PS1. I actually saw pictures of this game first in like an old issue of Game Fan. It had like Mega Man X2, and this was one of the games. They were like, yep, this is in Japan. You ain't playing this. And I was so intrigued by it. This game is exactly what I want in a tactical game. The AI is smart as hell. Like, they will keep... They will just pester you with archers. They will just be slightly out of range of your melee characters, and it feels like you're never going to catch up to them. It's not the, oh, I'm going to run the Fire Emblem mage right into your... No, they're going to hold back, shoot you in the face with an arrow, and then run away. Because they're smart little jerks, and I hate them. But, man, th- this game... But just... their their artwork is gorgeous, oh. and the music is amazing. I, it's Matsuno. I mean, it's the dude who made Final Fantasy Tactics and uh, uh, and Final Fantasy Twelve. The dude is a genius. And, and what's amazing to me is that this game that came out in 1995 is deeper and more enjoyable than most tactics games I play now. Like, you know, I, no, I, I agree. Like, I to this day say that I really, I don't, I can't name many tactics games I've enjoyed as much as Final Fantasy Tactics and Tactics Ogre. The, the re- one of the reasons I love Tactics, and I think a lot of people might miss this, is Tactics is easy to break, but it's customizable, it's fun. I like that. But more than anything else, ta- Final Fantasy Tactics has an atmosphere that has not been replicated. Sort of, It was sort of replicated in 12, but not quite, because it was just a, a different dynamic. Tactics Ogre is that atmosphere, because it's the same thing minus Final Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it it's its story is remarkably adult. It's ba- it's actually based off of like real world wars. I mean, uh, Matsuno referenced uh, Yugoslavia and you know j- j- horrible war atrocities. I mean, uh, the the game gives you there are decisions. You make decisions like it's a freaking Bioware game. And they're not, and they're not what's especially great about the game. I haven't I haven't finished it. I actually I literally downloaded it on my Vita now because I had it on PSP and I had I had not finished it, but. It, the decisions you make are never like punch your sister in the face or murder a bus full of children or bake a cake. It's like, well, are you going to backstab your best friend or, you know, your mother or something? Like, I'm, I'm being wow. hypothetical, but they're all very, very gray. It's like, 
it's putting you, you know, into you're not, awful you're, situations. Yeah, I, uh, yeah I you're actually, not. Go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead. Derek. Oh no, I, I wasn't gonna. I was. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I haven't. I haven't played it in a long time. I, I played it when it came out, and I remember getting to the end of chapter one. Yep. And th- the decision in the end of chapter one is awful. Like, I mean, like it's it's crushing. It's because I actually, uh, I thought that I made the decision for. It's like. I guess you have law or chaos, basically, but not really. I thought I had chosen the lawful route yep. route because I refused to slaughter people, but apparently that was not the lawful route. And so whatever you do at the end of that first chapter, like no matter what decision you make, it is not black or white, good or evil. It's like they're both hard decisions. Yeah, and it plays into like the if you are a knight in a court, you have to uphold your lord. And when your lord tells you to do something terrible... If you go against it, that is the dishonorable position. And so it plays into that. And it, it's just remarkably like uh, I said to Stephen th- uh, through a text message, like I would read books in this world. And I really can't say that about a lot of it. Like, you know, OK, I know a lot of people like the Halo universe, but I am not picking up a Halo book, says the guy that owns all of the original Doom novels. Take that. Dude, for those what you books will. are awesome. Those books are crazy. <laughs> Because they the like the two... first couple Diablo books. The first couple Diablo books were awesome. Yeah, it's like the first two Doom books are like actual Doom books, and then the the writer just said screw it and did their own thing, and it just gets really crazy. But like this world feels so alive, and it's taking place after the original Ogre Battle game, so it's actually it, there are characters that are returning. You actually run into the original cast from Ogre Battle at one point. I mean, it's like. This game is just so deep. It, it the tactical elements that you have to go through, and also uh, to to Steven's point, Final Fantasy Tactics is kind of delightful in how broken it is. I mean, you can make a super party that you know they're all like Goku's fighting and just will annihilate everything, and then you get Orlando and the game really breaks. Rams that can double punch anything to death. Yeah, and, but then like. With Tactics Ogre, they actually keep you reeled in, and I, I actually got into a random fight today, and I couldn't beat it. Like, I, I was so screwed because I, I was fighting a bunch of ende- undead monsters, and they just kept coming back, and it got really, really tense, and I was like, I can't beat this. Like, I am not prepared for this fight, and I got screwed, and I'm, I'm gonna die. And it keeps you from obliterating it, in a way, and you can't Yeah, do- like, you always have... It's... It, 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 it... Honestly, I think it's an extension of the narrative, which is every battle is hard won. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't do a thing where like you you teach a mage all the fire skills and then make him a knight and bring those fire skills. No, the game does not let you do that. Like you are limited in what you can do. But they with the remake, they did some really really smart things. You level up all your classes at the same time. So if you have a knight that's participating in the battle and they level up to level ten, now whenever you make a knight, it will be level ten. So you don't have to do the grinding anymore. They took the grind out of the game. They gave you the uh, the chariot system, which allows you to replay turns if you screw up. That's one minor complaint I have. It's very hard to gauge where the magic attacks are going to go sometimes. And when you miss, it can get really frustrating. But you just you know back out of that turn. Okay, I screwed that up. And it's just it's such a beautiful, remarkable game. And it breaks my heart that. Square Enix has said nothing about the Ogre series since this game came out. Because, good lord, is this game screaming for another one. Oh my I don't, god. I don't, I don't know how it's sold, but I mean, I I would absolutely... My thing is, generally speaking, I would let Matsuno make anything and buy it. It's so... If you guys liked Final Fantasy Tactics, this is Final Fantasy Tactics. 
I, it, yeah. it, it is. It's deeper than Final Fantasy Tactics. It doesn't have the level of... Co- it's deeper on, like, the actual game systems angle. Like, an early boss fight, I, I mentioned the undead. You're fighting the undead, and there's always a little wrinkle in some fights, and the undead just come right back. So you're like, okay, I just took that guy out, and then they come back. And you're like, oh, dear. And they also do a cool thing where in the story missions... You always have like one target that you need to take out. So you're kind of playing the reverse of Shimigami Tensei where, oh, you'll die if your main character dies in most of the old SMT games. Tactics Ogre is the exact reverse. Because if you play smart and you play tactfully and you go after the, the commander of the army and take him out, you win. And so there's really something to be said for that. Like, okay, if I, if I play smart and I isolate that character, I got this. And that's so satisfying. Ah, I love video games again. I had gotten I had gotten so jaded. No, I had gotten so. I, jaded. I feel the same way, but mostly because I recently played one of the best stories ever, and now because I'm playing Final Fantasy fourteen, and man. Well, I was kind of on like a. I got to. I spent like maybe six or seven hours with Luigi's Mansion, and I love Luigi's Mansion, but that mission structure is terrible. Derek, you're a hundred percent right. And then I start playing Fire Emblem, and I just feel like I'm wasting my time with it. And then I start playing Tactics Ogre, and all is hey, right with the world. That's twice in a row you've been right. You are always right, Derek. I'm learning this. It's, not my, it's not my wife that's always right. It's you. Whoa. So when are you going to marry me? I can uh, use the benefits, man. I, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, let me God. get them bennies. So, it doesn't so, have to be intimate, Rob. <laughs> so Tactics Ogre, <laughs> I'm getting away from this as, <laughs> as fast as humanly possible. So Tactics, Jackie's behind you, her eyebrow raising. Like, yep. What's going on? Tactics like, o- wait a minute. Ah, Tactics Ogre, you can pick it up on the PSP, uh, the PS Vita. You can download it for 20 bucks. Just do yourself a favor and play this game. It is so incredible. It, you guys were right to push me to play this game. Th- this has justified my Vita purchase. Yeah, well, just wait till you buy Persona 4 Golden. That'll justify it even further. I don't know. I, I, I that's gonna Do be it. like that's gonna be a commitment because I played Persona 4 over the course of like two months. Yeah, but well, I mean, it was don't awesome. Look at, don't look at it in terms of a time investment. Just look at it in terms of it's an awesome game, and you'll play it when you have time and want to play it because it's good. Yeah, and it's a really easy game to jump back into. Tactics Ogre is just. Man, it is. It, it it takes a little bit to get used to the rules. I I will say the game kind of explains everything. Except all the important stuff. And you'll, you'll kind of be overwhelmed with like, oh my god, I have to learn skills, and how do I learn magic? And it, you kind of want to refer to the manual a lot. And they do a really smart thing where if you press select, you can actually highlight anything in the menu, and it'll tell you exactly what it is. It's just a really, really smartly designed game. And it just... Ah, Square Enix, you guys own the ta- you guys own the Ogre series. Please do something with it. Not Ogre Battle 64, just do something with it. Please. I'm actually, I'm actually not a big fan of Ogre Battle 64, but yeah. Oh, God. I never played that. That's one of those uh, cult classics that everybody swears by, but I never even got to try it. You guys need to get back into Tactics Ogre, please. I agree with uh, you. Mine is downloading right now, but the problem is I'm playing a I'm playing Alundra. And not oh, to man. talk about a, you know a, a super old game, but it's the the joke is Alundra out Zelda Zelda and I enjoy Alundra more than almost every Zelda I've played other than the Oracle games and Minish Cap. So in terms of a 2D Zelda, if you like 2D Zelda just Alundra's amazing. Yeah. Super cool atmosphere too. So I just pull up uh Kotaku and what's one of the trending articles? Okay, yeah, Final Fantasy 14's relaunch is a disaster. See, this is oh my god. I'm sorry people like the game. 
yeah, that's, lore. Well, that's sensationalist journalism. I'm, yeah, I, I, I don't. I Kotaku knows. Whatever. The problem is they know how to get hits, and that'll get hits because people are, love to read about a train wreck. They are our peers in a sense, so I don't want to badmouth them too much. Yeah, I just think it's unnecessary. I think that they could, you know, it, it, it's you know, the, you could they have did a post really another article analysis. though. Hmm? To be to be fair to them, they did post a second article from another editor a couple days later that was like, yeah, actually, I'm not having problems. So, yeah, but, and yeah, if you look actually, if you look in the comments too, that the negative article, the other like he says like, oh, it's a disaster, da 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 da. But one of the other editors writes in the comments like, I completely disagree. So, you know, it, it, I think we all have this tendency as people to look at a website and go, oh, that's what Gamespot thinks, or that's yeah. what Kotaku thinks. But yeah. it, same thing with RPG fan, people go, oh. They gave, uh, I don't know. Yeah, like, like I they, reviewed they gave uh, X game. Atelier games, and, like, I reviewed, say, like, Meruru higher than Aisha, and people are like, well, well, I guess it's different when I'm the person doing it, but, like, Patrick Gann reviewed Rorona, so that would be like if somebody said, well, I don't understand why, why RPG Fan gave this Atelier game such a high score when they didn't like this one as much, and it's like, well, we're two different people. You see RPG Fan, but there's actually different editors writing things i don't know yeah yeah no that's the thing is it's, it's very easy to look and go oh that's what they think it's no it's you know well i mean everybody on our site loves dark souls so i mean they should <laughs> we are we are not the over we are not the overmind oh we should be though it would be exciting oh we require more vespine gas okay require more vespine gas so oh, yeah. tactics ogre is amazing go play it Derek. please take us in the news so i can keep playing tactics ogre Certainly, that just is gonna, something that I can do. Just gonna restart I my can't video. believe we're segueing right into this, but uh, closed beta was announced for Dark Souls 2. <laughs> it's going to be PlayStation 3 only, so that means you won't get your 60 FPS deliciousness. But you see what Derek does for you? To... Yeah, see, see, I'm not biased. Uh, well, he does this for you, Rob? I, I do this. I do this for you. Do this for you, but, Yeah, so you, if you're interested in that, you can register starting around September 5th, which is uh, right around the time that this podcast will be out. So if you want to lose your souls, you can do that with Dark Souls uh-huh. 2. Uh, one interesting piece of news that came out of Gamescom at the Sony press conference was that Borderlands 2 is going to be ported to the Vita. Woo-hoo! Kind of awesome they, right there. Yeah, Randy Pitchford had previously expressed interest in doing a Vita port last year with Sony's support, and I guess that ended up happening. Yeah, yeah, like, so- Sony's actually publishing it, which is interesting. Now all we need is that Bioshock game that Ken Levine talked about. You're right, he said, yeah. he said he's still interested in it. Like, he said very recently, he's like, I'm still interested in it. He's like, it's just a matter of, you know, one project at a time. Yeah, the Vita is just such a... I, I gotta say, like, I-, I love my 3DS, don't get me wrong. I think the 3DS is a great system. The Vita is really, really nice. I mean, they they thought a lot about that system and making it work, and it's a really cool experience. Wish the battery life was a little bit better, but what are you going to do? It's it's a really, really cool device, and it there's something to be said for a device that is a PlayStation 1 haven and, like, old PSP games. I just think that there's some really cool experiences that they could be making, and I really hope that they work on it. You can get Soul Sacrifice now. Should I get me. that? Should I get it? Um, I, I don't know if you'd like it. I mean, I'm not sure. Like, you, you may, you may not. There's a demo. I mean, the demo is huge. The demo is literally uh, the first chapter of the game. Like, you, you can put a good five, six hours in the demo. Okay. Uh, it doesn't introduce everything, like all the customization aspects, but it gives you a good idea of it. The early missions are pretty prescriptive in terms of, you know, it's a story. They're teaching you how to play, yada, yada. But once you get to the, some of the more open missions, 
and you see that this is a game about, you know, you read lore about a monster and how how it's defeated and how it became a monster, and then you go out and fight it. I mean, it's one of my favorite Vita games. I just stopped playing it because they release all this free DLC, but I have no one to play it with. Okay. Because it's, it's very difficult to play the difficult content by yourself because the AI is brick stupid. Mm. Oh, maybe I'll give it a try. I. You know, I got the, uh, unfortunately, because I got the Walking Dead pack, I only have a four gigabyte uh, Vita memory card, which is kind of a downer, but, you know. Yeah, grab a bigger one when you can. I mean, yeah, like... I, I think that that's the next step, and hopefully they get it ready for, for the holiday season, but I think if they can get those memory card prices down, then you got a really cool machine. And they, they did th- take a hit. I mean, they did bring them down a little bit, but I think they got to go lower. Yeah, I, I, I think they need to go a little lower, and I think... Maybe next year, but to be honest, with what they currently are now and with how hard they want to push them, I wouldn't be surprised that during Black Friday this year, I hate to support such a consumerist thing, but it's I'm sure you'll be able to get some cheap, cheap memory. Yeah, I'm looking at the memory. Like, I would want to get a 32 gig, and it's $76 on Amazon. I mean, that's that's highway robbery. That's kind of sick, especially when the I love the progression of their memory cards, which is like the four gigabyte is thirteen bucks, the eight gigabyte is twenty bucks, the sixteen gigabyte is forty bucks. Like it's kind of like wow, ouch. I think that's going to be what they're. Uh, Steve, uh, Derek and I mentioned briefly. I think when they redesign the damn thing, it's really going to piss me off. But I think they're going to do away with the Vita memory cards and they're going to go to like regular SDs, and that's going to uh, really I, that's going to be I, awful. I would... I would be willing to bet money that they never do that. Oof, I, I don't know. I, I think that that would be the smart decision, wouldn't it? I mean, because SD memory is so damn cheap. Well, that's the thing. The reason they, they went with this proprietary format is because of how bad the hacking was on the PSP. That's true. That's uh, and true. that was that wasn't even a proprietary. That was that itself was already proprietary. So I would just really like it if they would just lower that memory just a little bit more. Because your memory is kind of ridiculous right now. Oh, well. it is. Even I mean, they've taken a step, so a step is good. It's better than no steps, yeah. Agreed. I don't know. So anyway, also at Gamescom, Blizzard announced the first expansion to Diablo 3, entitled Reaper of Souls. This okay. is going to feature a new character class, the Crusader, who's uh, tanky, heavily armored, boom boom, smash smash, rob like kind of class. Tis but a scratch. Yeah, and they're gonna oh, raise really? the level no up one, to seventy. No, nope. really, really no one. Yeah, one's... I know Monty Python. I get it. Yeah, I know, but you gotta like finish the whole scene with me. No, I'm good. I'm good, Rob. <laughs> you don't have any legs. No, no. Oh, forgot. Okay, tis but a scratch. Scratch your arms off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that then? I've had worse. You lie. Come on, you pansy. There you go. I, and uh, then you go. And then you I've go seen... fight the bunny in uh, Dragon's Crown. Yes. Dude, do not give away the best boss fight of the year. <laughs> Actually, I mean, what? one of the one of the best boss fights of the year was the one that Derek and Mike and I fought the other night. <laughs> it was Ifrit. Oh, Ifrit? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty awesome. cool. I wouldn't say, eh, but not like, you know, we'll get to better ones. It'll be cool. So anyway, if you liked Diablo 3, you can look forward to Reaper of Souls releasing at an unannounced time. They said 2014. They yes, did they say did. 2014 on the website. And uh, Der- uh, Stephen and I talked at length about this. I'm really excited. I think they're saying a lot of the right things. I think their their plans for the itemization are good. The, Diablo 3, we've talked about it time and time again. Diablo 3 is an absolutely fantastic game, and then you hit level 60. And the game just stops. It screeches to a dead halt. And 
a lot of things are wrong with the game right now. The Demon Hunter is completely broken after level 60 on Inferno. Let's not even talk about the classes. Itemization is boring. Getting items sucks. Yeah. They're all the same. And I, I, I am skeptical that this the item overhaul they're talking about will really fix things. I'll play it. I'll enjoy it. I'll beat the DLC probably once, and then I won't play it again. Because just the core skill and item system is built around a concept that is just not inherently open to craziness. I mean, I think some of the things they're doing might work, but I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical. I, I don't think it will ever have the legs that Diablo 2 does because of just how it's designed. Yeah, and it's a shame because I think Diablo 3 plays phenomenally well. I, it is a very, very fun game to play, but I, I agree with Steven. It kind of... It doesn't have the legs. I don't think they can fix that, but I'm still, I'm, you know, let's see what they do. Let's see. I mean, I'll still buy it and play it. And yeah. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Like, you know, I enjoyed Diablo 3, but, it, you know. I think the I setting looks awesome. I haven't played D3 in forever. I actually wouldn't mind a reason to fire it up again. Hey, I'll play with you. I mean, I'm leveling up a wizard right now and having a wow. lot of fun disintegrating stuff. <laughs> see, Rob, I'm playing this game, you see. It's called Final Fantasy XIV. Oh, yeah, well, I'm playing Tactics Ogre, so there you go. Well, that's it also is. I don't know why I'm downloading Tactics Ogre right now. It's almost done because I'm not going to be able to touch it. The only time I ever play Alundra now is like when I go to bed at 4 or 5 a.m. after Final Fantasy. I'm like, oh, I'll play Alundra for an hour oh, before I go to sleep. When your, your excitement level is uh, coming down to pass out time? <laughs> yeah. Steven, you better be ready to do that dungeon tonight, man. I, I just here. actually, my, uh, my game just gave me some weird error and crashed. I'm trying to log back on now. Oh, God. Not even logged in because I pay attention when I'm podcasting. Hey, I've, been, I've been paying Steven. attention the whole time. Sure, you do. That's why yeah, you're sending me... He's better at it than I am. Chat. He's way was, better at it than I am. I was running Fates. I'm almost level 30, which means White Mage tonight. And uh, How are you running... Oh my god. Alright, so Level 5 announced <laughs> another game. It's called Wonderflick, and it is a really sort of unusual looking... Uh, I say unusual, but like... It, it is the rudimentary looking... JRPG, in a sense. Um, it is being developed for every system ever. The Wii U, Xbox One, PlayStation 4, PS3, PS Vita, iOS, and Android. And it looks kind of like... Not gameplay-wise, but graphically, it reminds me of Little King Story. While the gameplay is sort of a... I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an RPG that uses touchscreen elements and... For example, if you're playing on a PS4, you will use your PS Vita as a second screen, where if you're using an Xbox One, you'll use the Smart Glass app on your smartphone, because I guess every game is supposed to have some sort of touch functionality included. Um, Level 5 hasn't really done anything super new in a while. They've done the Guild series, but so it was kind of a big thing for them at this at their event, the Level 5 Vision event, for, for them to announce a big game like this, so... Hopefully it turns out well. They do have Akihiko Hino of, of Level 5 uh, designing it, along with Nao Ikeda, who worked on Final Fantasy XII, and notably Nobuo Uematsu is helping out with some of the music. So I have no idea if that's going to be good, but it might what be worth you? keeping an eye on. Got a nice pedigree behind it. I would really yeah. like them to make a Rogue Galaxy 2. Oh my god, I love Rogue Galaxy. I, I love I love Rogue Galaxy except the dungeons. I hate how long they go on at the end, and I think like most Level 5 games, the story sort of Train wrecks. Steve, man. 
But it has awesome characters, awesome music, and the combat is super fun. So I would love to see a sequel with just better dungeon design, like puzzles and stuff. In the I remember, I remember being really excited for that game, and then like it came out, and the reviews were kind of middling, and I didn't have the money to get it, so I, I kind of just passed it by. And plus, it was, and plus, it had what's his face from Boy Meets World in it, and that was weird. What's Frankie? What? Oh, wait, no. Yeah, the the brother from Boy Meets World. He played the main character. I was thinking of uh... Jaster. Yeah, Jaster. Whatever. Uh, I was thinking of Fred Savage. I don't know. <laughs> it's a common mistake. It's a no. Seriously, I think you'd actually dig it though, Rob. It's a lot of fun. Like it gets grindy, which is my my only problem with it. But the combat is super fun, and like all the characters play differently. They all have cool attacks. Like it was. It it, it didn't quite come off as well because I think because the the story starts out, you know, you're like Yara pirates and you're doing piratey stuff, but then it turns into you know save the galaxy. But I mean, it was still you know. It's, I liked it's a it. Fun game. Yeah, I liked it almost as much as Dark Cloud 2, but I I don't know if they'll ever, ever top Dark Cloud 2. That game is amazing. I've got Dark Cloud 2. I picked it up. I just haven't played it yet. It's, it's so much good. fun. Love the invention system in that game. Yeah, it was really... Well, that and the, if I recall, you took pictures of stuff to get ideas, and then you could like yeah. combine them to invent things. Yeah. It was just like... It was so cool to go through the dungeon. Like, ooh, a thing. I'm going to take a picture of it. Yeah. Lots yeah. of interesting ideas in that one. So uh, also at the level five, or sorry, uh, yeah, level five vision. I was I was confused because of the title of this next game. At the level five vision event, they also announced that Professor Layton Seven, it's just called Layton Seven, is in development. The game is going to be on iOS, Android, and 3DS, but the promotional piece of artwork does not feature Professor Layton. The only thing we know about it is that it is going to have a 3D setting. And that you can control one of several different characters, including a taxi driver, a child, and a zombie or a dog. <laughs> and explore town. So I guess your dreams of uh, possessing dog food are almost being realized, Rob. Yes! So Layton 7 does not yet have a date, but it is a game that will come out. I really love to end my news stories so authoritatively. Like, yeah, it's, it's a thing. I don't know. It's a game. So anyway, a um, couple more. Nintendo made that Zelda Wind Waker HD Wii U bundle official. I don't know if you had heard about that, but rumors were flying around that Nintendo was going to be packaging Wind Waker HD with the Wii U, and they actually won up to that by announcing that not only would they be doing that, but the system itself was getting a $50 price drop to $299. The Wind Waker HD bundle is coming with a digital copy of the game, and it's actually going to be released uh, two weeks early? I believe, and the Wii U itself in that bundle is going to have the Hylian crest and little engravings along the gamepad, kind of like the limited edition 3DS that came out. So that's cool. Oh, and also the system is going to have a digital copy of the Hyrule Historia art book on it, which Rob would love to peruse again, I'm sure. (laughs) Way to poke the bear, Derek. Way to poke the bear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, why am I not excited for that? But I'm way more excited for uh, the new Legend of Zelda on 3DS. Because <laughs> it's well, 2D. Because that's new. But yeah, I mean, I think I'll get both. I think Wind Waker HD looks fantastic. But if I've always if I, liked Wind Waker, so if I ever get a Wii U, I will definitely get Wind Waker HD because that's my favorite 3D Zelda. Uh, Steven loves whimsy. No, he hates whimsy. I need to write that. Uh, I, I, d- this is just reminding me so much. I wa- really want to write an editorial about how a game, like the opinion on a game, changes. Because... Hey, wait, 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 Derek, did you say I changed my mind on Wind Waker? I don't change my mind. I've always liked no, Wind Waker. No, no, no. I said, I said, Stephen. I was saying that I was thinking that you loved whimsy, but I know that you hate the word whimsy, right? No, no he I hates hate whimsy. 
I don't look. I don't always hate whimsy. Like I oh, like. Oh yeah, you do. I don't think Wind Waker is whimsy though. Wind Waker is gorgeous and like I don't know. I, I feel like there's a difference. It's a weird line. I don't know. As as I was saying, I find it <laughs> no, I find it interesting because like Wind Waker was very well received when it first came out. Uh, you know, not when the art style first came out. I actually remember seeing like the pictures in EGM and people's heads exploding about you know Zelda. More like Zelda. Yeah, and it, it turned out okay. But, like, people liked Wind Waker a lot, but it didn't get the high accolades. Then you had Twilight Princess, which everybody, like, literally lost their minds over and said it was the greatest game ever. I really, I, I would say Twilight Princess is the better game, but I think Wind Waker's art style is timeless. But then what's happened here is, like, now everybody goes, and I'm not saying this is you, Steven, but everybody goes, oh, Wind Waker is the better game, and Twilight Princess is kind of crappy. And they're like, oh, Twilight Princess was just Ocarina of Time. And I'm like, yeah, but you seem to all be okay with that when it came out. What changed? Twilight like, Princess was just Ocarina of Time, which is what all of you people were complaining about. Yeah, that's why they did it. Like, they did it because of everybody complaining about Wind Waker. Like, and Wind Waker's a great game, but let's be honest, the game completely falls apart. Like, the last... That game is missed dungeons. Wind Waker, Wind Waker HD, well... They're not adding them. Well, they're, they're, gonna, not they're not adding they're them. They're not adding them because they, add, yeah, they add them to later dungeons. Right. And they're also making it so you don't have to um, translate all of them or something. Like, they're, it's significantly... Like, it's going to cut a few hours out of the game, but they're hours of misery. Yeah, and they all, and the sailing is speed up. Like the Triforce hunt is now significantly shortened. I'm like, that was the only part of that game that stopped me from beating it. Yeah, no, that, I liked when my friend beat it, but I liked Wind Waker a lot. But I really preferred Hyrule and Twilight Princess. I thought that there was more to find. I really enjoyed scouring. I I liked the size of the like after. I'm sorry, but the Skyward Sword dungeons feel small by comparison to Twilight Princess. Like Twilight Princess is done. The first dungeon in Twilight Princess is humongous. Did you beat? Skyward Sword? I got about halfway. All right, well, then you missed all of the awesome dungeons. I'm sorry that... Uh, okay, I've heard this argument before. No, it I'm not saying... for 20 hours and it gets good. No, I know no, what you mean. The, I know the desert mean. dungeon was cool, and the last three dungeons were all significantly more complex. Okay, because I thought the first couple dungeons in Skyward Sword were kind of crappy. Like, I was kind of surprised. Like, when I beat a dungeon in, like, 30 minutes, I was a little shocked. And no, I, I mean, the, the, the Great Deku Tree in... Ocarina of Time is like 30 no, minutes. I, I, mean, I, know, I, I know, I know. I'm not saying that that means it's bad, but like I really liked the complexity of the Twilight Princess dungeons. And I, I don't know. It, it's the same thing that we talk about with Chrono Cross. Like Chrono Cross comes out, everybody loves it, and now like there's a very vocal fan base that's like, oh, it sucks. And then you have Final Fantasy VIII, which people were very critical of when it first came out, and now you have a vocal fan, fan base that says it's amazing. It's just cool. It's very weird to me how, like, a game progresses in the... in the Like, people love Metal Gear Solid 2 now. Do you guys remember how much people hated it when it first came out? Like... I, I remember they were mad about riding, like... And the fact that the game was about six hours long. Well, what I love is how Metal Gear 4 came out. Everyone loved it. Now everyone's like, oh, it was dumb. And I'm like, yeah, you're all wrong. Yeah, I didn't like it to begin with. But still, it, it's just a cool idea of doing a, an editorial on like what the 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 percolation and how a video game changes in the, in the mind's eye over time. I don't know. I think I'm pretty consistent. I'm like, yeah, I like that game back then, and I like it now. Or, you know, hey, I tried to understand the junction system, and I couldn't, and I hate that game, and I still do. The junction system is badly explained, but not very complicated. It's not very complicated. It's just silly. Well, it's silly, but it, it's it's kind of fun. Like it's very customizable. Like 
Eight is not one of my favorite Final Fantasies, but I like the junctioning. Like it did, as a, as a kid, it was like voodoo to me, but <laughs> like I, I figured it out eventually, and I was like, oh, this is pretty into. Uh, it's creative because it makes sense in the story of the world why you'd be able to do that. I guess I, I, I don't know. It's just a fun editorial. I kind of want to write. Like just it, it's very anecdotal though, so I don't think it would mean anything. But eh, sorry, Darren. Yeah, but that's what an editorial is, right? That's true. Yeah, I mean, You're if you have something you want to write about, you should. I think I, I, I think it's a fascinating topic. What's yeah, that? I think so too. I agree. Rob should do some stuff. I'm going to give you my last story of the day, and I'm going to try not to freak out about it. Okay, here we go. All right, here we go. Dark Souls 2, coming to Wii U. Shut up! <laughs> um, Exceed, one of my favorite publishers, has announced that the upcoming East Memories of Celseta will be getting a limited edition entitled the Silver Anniversary Edition. This is notable because it is the 25th anniversary of the East series, and this uh, special collector's edition is going to be $59.99 and will include a uh, collectible compass, a cloth map of the area that the game takes place in Celsetta, uh, and a hardbound book with uh, maps and information entitled Adol's Travel Journal. And perhaps the most exciting thing is it's going to have a three-disc music CD set with tracks spanning the series' entire history. And... The reason why that's so cool is because a lot of people don't really know that much about East, but if you have any sort of cursory knowledge of it, you know people always say, oh, the music's great, the music's awesome. And it's for a reason, because the music is awesome. Uh, Falcom's in-house studio, Falcom JDK Band, has it's turned over some of its members, or I think at this point all of its members, but they have been producing amazing original music for those games ever since they originally came out back in the 80s. And this three-CD set, um, we actually had the pleasure of speaking to Tom Lipschultz, the localization specialist at Exceed Games, on the most recent episode of Rhythm Encounter. And he was telling us about some of the tracks that he picked for this, because he's a gigantic Falcom aficionado. And it's super cool. Like, Tom pulled stuff from obscure CD releases, like Falcom Special Music Boxes from the 90s. And uh, it's, it's got tracks that relate to every game in the series basically so including origin so one through seven in origin and Celseta, if you didn't know is a sort of reimagining of east four that's so if you want more info kind of an rhythm encounter yeah absolutely so we had an awesome uh, i i wouldn't really call it an interview it was just a cool falcom geeking out session over the course of several hours on the most recent episode of rhythm encounter so hint hint please subscribe to that as well if you're interested but yeah so basically new uh, special edition of east and I'm going to buy that, and I will kill somebody to review that game for RPG fans. So don't step to me, all right? Do not step to me. Actually, they already told me I was reviewing it. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> they already told me that I was going to show up at your door tonight with that. Never mind. Please oh, do. With a, with a bouquet of flowers. With a bottle of wine. With a bo- uh, actually, kind of, yeah. What kind of wine do you have? Uh, we got red and white. Oh, boy. White wine. I've never actually heard of a wine called white wine. Never mind. So is that uh, it for your news IT there, card reference. That's it for my news. Don't. Hey, you're cramping my style, man. I am. I'm totally cramping. That is it for news today. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Random Encounter. As always, make sure to stop by the message board. Send us letters. I know, I know, I know. I keep saying we're going to look at some of the reader mail. It's just we, we didn't have time. I apologize in advance uh, for us taking so long. Uh, well, I apologize for us taking so long to get this episode out. This is the crazy point of the year for me, and trying to get all of us together to do a podcast has been really 
really difficult. I also apologize that the next episode's a little late. I'm going to try my best, but, you know, trying to get the kids into the swing of things with AP mechanics is a little tough, and that's kind of where all my focus needs to be. So, you know, please bear with me, and I will do my best to get this show up and running again. So, uh, for Steven and Derek, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. I don't think we've ever done that at the end of an episode. We gotta go, man. It's time to run that dungeon.